Bang on the Empire podcast this week, we chat to our Pats, yes, and W. Daff, yes, Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe, the stars of the astonishing new horror, The Lighthouse, or Tea Light, as is now known, are our guests this week. Plus, the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that is being recorded yards, and I'm not making this up, literally yards, from the set of Marvel Studios, The Eternals, right now, happening right now around the corner from Empire Towers. Feel free to pop around, Kevin. <laughs> Angie, the kettle is on. Uh, Kamel, we've got some some chickens you can consume. <laughs> and really just ab up if you would like to. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast, which this week is brought to you by megamovieweek.co.uk. Find the latest and greatest digital movies up until the 26th of January from your favourite digital stores like Sky Store, Amazon Prime Video, Apple TV, Google Play Store... And more. Oh, yes. Much, much more. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, this week, I am joined by three colleagues, not two, but three colleagues of such lethal cunning, uh, with Helena Hara and her increasingly potty mouth sent to a clinic to help her deal with her increased swearing levels. Uh, swearing, by the way, is not big and is certainly not fucking clever. And uh, James Dyer at home meditating in anticipation of the arrival of Star Trek Picard. And yes, I said meditating. Those colleagues of such lethal cunning are the quiet poddle, John Nugent. Hello, Chris. You shit. I don't know. <laughs> are you trying to fill the, the... I'm just, yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll do the swearing this week. Okay, that's good. That's good. Uh, a man who would never swear on the Emperor podcast because he's just too darn idealistic is Ben Travis. I wouldn't fucking dream of it, Chris. <laughs> oh, does that sound like me? It doesn't. It just sounds wrong in sound your mouth. Idiot. It felt wrong as I said it, I have to yeah. say. Now, do you have to like do penance? Do you have to like whip yourself? <laughs> Is it full Opus Day? What are you What are you doing? I just have to tell my mum. <laughs> yeah. Do you know I never swore in front of my parents ever, ever, at any point. Just to run, you know, throw yeah. it out there. My my parents. I'm not sure I believe that. My parents no, have told me off if I've sworn on the podcast before. They listen and they are very disappointed in me. So, really? Sorry. Yeah. Well, you know. Anyway, never, never, never did, never did. Uh, and last but not least on the podcast is the best dressed man of podcasts, or so he claims. Here he is back with another TK Max bargain. It's Amon Warman. <laughs> How are that's you? That's not a claim. That's a fact. I am well. <laughs> well, is that a claim or a fact that you're well? <laughs> you're confusing me now. What's happening? I'm, you've now confused me as well. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are you well or not? I am well. Is that a f- claim or a fact? That's a claim. I, no, that's a f- <laughs> It could be a claim. It could be a claim and a fact. It can be both, yeah. All right. I think it's both. But the best dressed man in podcasts thing, that's, uh, that's, that's a claim. No, no, that's, that's, a claim. A, that's a fact. Where's the jumper from today? I cannot remember. <laughs> um, this is pre-mark, my friend. Look at yeah. this. Yeah, look at this. Look at ben, what, ben, what do you got? What do you got? You're um, rocking. This is an official HBO Game of Thrones sweatshirt. Yep. Okay. With the uh, House Stark direwolf sigil. Oh, no, no, oh, I sound no. like James. Oh, no. Yeah, you are. And Kit Harrington's dire. just around the corner as well. Yeah. <laughs> He's probably seen you in that and judged you from afar. And maybe Richard Madden? Is he in Eternals as well? He's in Eternals yeah. as well. Yeah. Oh, my God. So this, is, this is what's happening right now. So uh, as, we, as I walked into work this afternoon, because <laughs> that's how I roll, <laughs> I came into the office and I was like, look at all these trucks on the, on the road outside our, our offices. And uh, what's that for? And turns out that, yes... 
Marvel's The Eternals is shooting mm. just around the corner and we can't get on set. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which means as well that when we watch it, this is going to be Marvel's maddest, most sort of, it crosses cosmic. several, it's yeah. cosmic, it's yeah. across a huge time span it's, and there are going to be several points where we're like, that's Camden, that's the <laughs> office, that's Camden Morrison's, yep. that's the That's Angela Jolie the, uh, in Wagamama. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's she ordering? Ooh, that's, I'll get that next time. That's <laughs> Nick. How did Nick get it? <laughs> What's he doing? It's Edmund. He's looking directly at the camera. Oh no, he's ruined it. He's ruined every Marvel movie. Oh no. Uh, so yes, presumably they don't advertise where they're going to be shooting all the Marvel movies beforehand, but that's where they are. That's where they're shooting right now. By the time you listen to this podcast, they'll probably have upped sticks and left. And I imagine the reason they don't tell people where they're shooting is so Scorsese can come down and shut the whole thing down. You can just <laughs> wag his finger at them. Yeah. This isn't fucking cinema. You know, yeah. usual thing. <laughs> month four of that joke now. <laughs> Still good. Yeah, month four. Uh, anyway, let's start as ever with a question. And usually the question on the Empire podcast is quite fun or it's quite offbeat or it's quite irreverent. And th- listen, the answer to this might be all three, but it is a very, very, very sad question that was sent in specifically by Will Chick at Will Chick on Twitter but was sent in really echoed by a number of people uh, and it pertains to the very very sad passing this week of the great Terry Jones the one of the founding members well just one of the members of Monty Python who passed away this week uh, due to complications following a battle with a very rare strain of Alzheimer's that most insidious of diseases and he was uh, he was 77 and uh, he was just a tremendous wonderful warm funny witty enthusiastic ball of energy and uh, one of the giants of comedy on the big screens and the small screens as well and the question quite simply is what is your favourite Terry Jones moment I mean there's so many to pick from aren't there you know the, he, the, the across all of the Flying Circus TV sketches and then you've got what is it four Monty Python films um, like official films, I yep. suppose. Yep. Um, and then he's put in. If you're counting now for something. Oh yeah, different. I guess. I guess. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. kind of. It's kind of a film. Yeah. Um, and he's he pops up in so many other things. Um, I mean, he had such a long and interesting career outside of Python as well. He was, you know, big on history and stuff. I, I tweeted a thing yesterday from Holy Grail, just mm. like a, literally like a six second clip, and it got. It went everywhere. I saw today 9,000 likes. Something like that, yes. But it's, you know, nothing to do with me. It's the the, the amazing clip. But that's just the way, you know, these things things happen, that they they latch onto it. I I saw that same quote, because it's a scene from from Monty Python and the Holy Grail, which is a film, essentially, really the first Python film. Yes. Now for something completely different is, is... basically a retooling of some of their sketches for the big screen. Uh, but that film is tremendous. He co-directed it with Terry Gilliam. He directed, then after that, he became the Python's sole director and he did Life of Brian on his own and he did The Meaning of Life uh, on his own as well. Uh, but that scene is fantastic. So it's a scene where Michael Palin is the, uh, is the very gruff Yorkshire uh, king. He's the king of Swamp Castle. Yeah, king of Swamp Castle. <laughs> Which is built on a swamp. It's like the fourth attempt at building this castle. And, <laughs> and, uh, and Terry Jones is, uh, is his, his, uh, his son Alice. Herbert! Herbert! <laughs> yeah. And uh, he, he takes him to the window and he goes, One day, lad, all this could be yours. <laughs> and Terry Jones goes, What, the curtains? <laughs> <laughs> no, not the curtains, lad! It's just, oh my God, I love that film so much. Uh, and that is just a tremendous, tremendous 
from, but I noticed it was actually on the BBC's obituary as well. They did five great Terry yeah. Jones lines, and maybe because it was a BBC, one of those lines was not "fuck off, I'm full." <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Creosote. Mr. Creosote from the Meaning of Life. Um, <laughs> I, I do wonder, you know, Terry Jones being a Python, and then you know, Titans having quite dark senses of humour. I, I wonder if he'd be quite tickled by the fact that probably so many obituaries led with him as, a, as the fattest man in movies, <laughs> about to explode and expose his ribcage and his organs and his innards. Um, yeah, I, uh, my favourite Terry Jones moment. Oh man, that's tough. That is tough. That is a that is a cracking moment as well. I mean, anything in. Life of Brian uh, seems really rote to say this, but he's not the Messiah. He's a very naughty boy. Yes, um, is is up there as well. I mean, he was he was a master of cross dressing, wasn't he? he all, really the, was. all the Pythons kind of did female roles, but he somehow had the the, the perfect knack of that ridiculous high pitched shrill voice yeah. and just making himself look totally ridiculous. Uh, I mean, he's 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 the spam, spam, he's the spam, 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 yeah. spam, 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 spam. Do you want rats in it? You know, he's talking about rats, <laughs> rats and spam. Um, yeah, I mean, he's yeah. Anything like that is amazing. Where he's just like he has, he's totally fearless and t- completely willing to sort of yeah. Let himself, you know, look ridiculous. And I think lines like that as well, that he's not the Messiah, he's a very naughty boy and the spam stuff, that, that's not just for people who go for like the deep cuts of, of British comedy. That is stuff that is well out there. It's in the yep. cultural consciousness. Everybody knows those lines. Everybody knows those moments. Um, it's an amazing contribution. Yeah. I mean, he was just, he was just one of the greats. I mean, the, the, you know, the Python, if you haven't really checked out a lot of Python stuff, I mean, yes, the, the TV show is dated and can be problematic but Holy Grail and Life of Brian in particular are two of the greatest comedies of all time and the risks they took with structure and with content and with form and they were just so darn clever and Jones along, he was a, he was Michael Palin's writing partner they were they came up together um, so Cleese and Chapman were writing partners and Eric Idle wrote in his own and, and Terry Gilliam was kind of this weirdo that they brought into the group to basically do their, their uh, animation and then eventually he became part of the group as they moved on into you know the mm. later TV shows and, and whatnot, and then the films also. Uh, but Jones was just just a really endlessly fascinating guy. I had the great pleasure of meeting him on a number of occasions and uh, doing a couple of Q and A's with him on stage. I did one a few years ago at the Derby Film Festival up up at the Quad, uh, and I just remember afterwards he was just he was just absolutely lovely and. I remember afterwards he we were in the green room and he was really animated in terms of he was so excited about doing absolutely anything which was proved to be his last feature film and uh, and he was acting out the first five to ten minutes for me like animated they go and then a, a dog poo comes to life and the dog poo starts speaking and he was just <laughs> jumping around this green room being really really uh, really cool and enthusiastic and just a, just seemed to be a lovely lovely guy and I mm-hmm. had the great pleasure of interviewing him and Michael Palin together did anyone see that that news report where Michael Palin was interviewed yeah, yesterday it's heartbreaking and Michael Palin uh, broke down in tears and mm. oh, it's, it's awful yeah. awful because they were they were best friends genuinely lifelong yeah. friends if you read Michael Palin's diaries Jones is such a huge presence in them he was he was basically the first port of call if Palin ever wrote anything he was handed to Jones and kind of get a sense check on it uh, and they played squash together for years and years and years and years. And uh, he's such a, a huge, huge loss. Yeah. And everything you hear about him, it, 
like, you know, a lot of people in Hollywood, you hear stories, you know, people like sometimes occasionally badmouth him. There's no dirt on this guy. Like he was, you know, seemed like a completely lovable guy. Yeah. Uh, and he was he was really intelligent as well, really yeah. smart. I he was think, a historian, I yeah. I mean, you you look at some of the stuff he does in Python, and you think he's just a sort of giggling idiot sometimes. But he's but he no, was absolutely not. He was an academic. He he wrote books on medieval history. He presented shows yeah, on he history. Did, yeah. um, he was he was a proper like polymath. He really was. Um, I think he and Palin, I think, are universally seen as probably the two nicest pythons in a way and there's right. this, the, the the ongoing joke about Palin is he's the nicest guy in the world and Jones wasn't far off either mm. he, he really really interesting guy and there's obviously Cleese is interesting these days and Gilliam has said things recently that, is, that are <laughs> nonsensical and it, it, yeah and uh, yeah but Jones and Palin really were two of a kind um, one of the great experiences of my life not just my career because it wasn't related to my career was I got to see the uh the reunion show mm. at the O2 a few years ago. And it was so weird for me watching them on stage. And Jones, knowing now what we know about his condition, explains kind of a lot because he was struggling with the lines and he he had things written down. So when he would do things like, uh, I'm on, seriously, you're gonna have, I'm going to give you a list of recommendations for, <laughs> for, for after this. Yeah. You, there's may, another, there's you may have a... noticed that I'm not talking very much. <laughs> yes. <today. laughs> um, you, you, you. <laughs> but yeah, I've got, I've got, I've got my book I'm the, taking notes. The list of recommendations is this, I'm on. Okay. Multi Python, the Holy Grail. Holy Grail. Multi Python's Life of Brian. Life of Brian. That's it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a recommendation. If you do watch those two films, if you don't like those two films, next time you're on the podcast, we'll have words, but that's fine. <laughs> but genuinely, you, you will love them. He's, he, he actually is writing them down. They're two Find quite famous films. <laughs> <laughs> but I watched, he was having problems, for example, he does a chocolate frog sketch with uh, John Cleese and he was literally just picking up props. They had props dotted around the room and he was reading his lines off the, the props. Mm. Uh, you could, you know, the, now we know why, because he was beginning to have problems with his with his memory and his condition was beginning to worsen. But I remember watching that show, and when they came out on the end at the end to uh, to take their encore, and I'd had a wonderful time and I'd, I'd laughed my head off because I'd never thought I would see the Pythons live. And but I remember just this wave of melancholy just washed over me, this wave of enormous sadness washed over me because I just I, I had the moment that moment where I thought. This is it. This is the last time mm. I'm going to see these five people together in the same room. And obviously, sadly, so it proved. But mm. he was a python. And he, the pythons are the guys who, you know, treated death with, with a lack of respect. And <laughs> when Graham Chapman died, uh, do you remember the, you know yes. the story about you know, his memorial service, which was filmed and I think even broadcast, you know, and John Cleese. It's on YouTube, up. I think. Yes, on YouTube. Yeah. It's uh, fantastic. John Cleese goes up and gives this long, heartfelt eulogy and, you know, paying tribute to his, his dear, dear friend. And then gives the perfect pause and then goes, ah, fucking the... Bangly bang. It's dead. That's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And uh, I suspect they'll they'll probably treat uh, Terry Jones' uh, de death with the same irreverence and lack of respect. I mean, outside of the Python stuff as well, obviously he wrote Labyrinth. He, he wrote did. the screenplay mm, for Labyrinth. Um, and I uh, have to say, I hadn't thought about it much since the 90s, but I was five when his uh, adaptation of Wind in the Willows came yeah. out, which mm. in hindsight obviously had 
appearances from loads of the Pythons lot in there. And I just remember the visual style of that being so sort of wild and, and wacky. I, I, I definitely en- ended up seeing that as a kid. Uh, obviously haven't revisited it in a long time, but he has all these other things as well that I'm sure will um, crop up in people's memories over the Ripping years. Ripping Yarns. Ripping Yarns yeah. is a great yarns. Sort of deep cut. Yeah. It's kind of a parody of, you Sorry. know, old... Sorry, I'm writing this you down. should write that down. Write it down, Amon, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like a, a sort of piss take of old schoolboy adventure tales, you know. It's very, very good. Ripping he did that yarns. with Michael Palin. Uh-huh. Uh, and his his like Terry Jones medieval lives his BBC sort of it was almost like a, a little bit of Python in it it was he was presenting history yeah as you know in a, in a sort of quite unique way and bringing a bit of sketch comedy into it it was it was actually really lovely I mean it's quite sort of family friendly but yeah. But uh, but it was you know he was very keen on dispelling common myths and misperceptions about uh, medieval history and it's it's really fascinating like he's he's uh, yeah he's got some great stuff in his back catalogue he really does he really really does and he was also uh, even though Eric Idle was the the mastermind of Python's musical escapades he would often bring in Jones because Jones had that sort of lugubrious lower register which worked in, which worked well an awful lot so there's a, a song uh, called. <laughs> Traffic lights, which is just simply Terry Jones going, I like traffic lights, <laughs> I like traffic lights, over and over again. Um, I'll get in your head. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then, of course, there's the majestic sit on my face, which is a, a pay into the pleasures of oral sex. Uh, I'm on, you should write that down. Sorry, write that down. Yep. Just sit, Google sit on my sit face. On my face. Just sit write, write wait, sit on my no, face. No, don't Google sit on my face. <laughs> <laughs> What have you written down, Namon? Have you written down Sit On My Face? I've written down Sit On My Face, Terry Jones. Good. Um, okay. That's just, that's just leave it at that, shall we? And uh, I move on. But yes, I was, I was devastated by this. I haven't been as devastated by a uh, major celebrity death since Alan Rickman. And this, this one really got me right in the feels. Yeah. Uh, the great Terry Jones, who passed away this week, aged 77. Okay, if you want to get in touch with us on the Empire Podcast, uh, you can do so via a number of methods. We're on Twitter as at Emperor Magazine. Use the hashtag Emperor Podcast or chances are we will not see it. You can Facebook us as well. Ben, do we ever check Facebook? What's the point? Um, What's the point, Ben? That's a <laughs> tweet. <no>. Tweet us. <laughs> just, just tweet, tweet, just tweet us. us. People are now trying to circumvent. They're trying to get around you know, the, 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 the system by sliding into my DMs. Ooh. Naughty. Very naughty. Nudes. Chris- <laughs> well, they don't, like, the it when, they don't that... like it when I send them nudes back. <laughs> <laughs> that's a threat. Yeah, this is this is when we need Helen you to see, do the lawyer thing. Yeah. You slide into my DMs, you get a nude in response. Mm. Uh, sometimes it'll be of me, sometimes mm. it won't. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes just Terry Jones at the organ. Uh, uh, seen that nude organist. I love that image. Yeah. Uh, that's amazing. Uh, anyway. And you can also email us, podcast at empireonline.com. How exciting. Okay, time now for our first guest. Next week marks the release of Robert Eggers' The Lighthouse, his deeply dark and weird and demented follow-up to The Witch or The Fifitch, if you (laughs) go by the way it's uh, the font is presented on the poster. The movie stars Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. Yes, Bruce Wayne and Norman Osborn themselves (laughs) as two lighthouse keepers who have a very strange experience in... Uh, lighthouse. Uh, it is a must-see, and the two interviews that my learned colleague, John Nugent, for It Is He, conducted with them when they came in before Christmas, are must-listens. 
I haven't listened to them yet, but <laughs> you must John, listen to it. John Chris. tells me. I, well, hopefully, I'm, I'm trying to avoid that, John, if I can. But uh, but John tells me they are very, very good indeed. First up, Willem Dafoe, one of the best character actors around. John, how was this? Tell me about him. Uh, he was great. He was a little bit tired, uh-huh. but uh, we warmed up. I think. Good. No, metaphorically, I, okay. I, I assume the temperature <laughs> remained the same throughout the interview. Uh, okay. No, there was no physical touch. <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Here's John Nugent talking to Willem Dafoe. Do you please enjoy. So, Willem Dafoe, welcome to the Empire Podcast. Thank you. How are you? Good. I'm good. Thank you so much for, for joining us. We're here to talk about uh, The Lighthouse, yep. which I've seen twice now. Oh, good. Um, how many times have you seen it at this point? I've probably seen it maybe three times. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one of those films that I feel like it, it rewards you with each viewing. Do you know I'm what I mean? Good. I agree. Um, I agree. There's, it's, there's so much to it and it's so strange and uh, so, many, so many details to pick up on. It's true. Um, what was your reaction reading the script for the first time? Um, you know, I read it and I say, oh, I want to do those things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I want to speak that text, that text which is very full-blown, mm. poetic, uh, elevated language. There's nothing normal about it mm. um period film i had seen the witch which was rob egger's first film mm. and i knew this you know I, I had some idea how he was going to approach this so i was there was no question about whether i wanted to yeah and the the dialect your character in particular mm-hmm. has really incredible period very specific accents right that all sort of sing from the page as well sort uh, of thing. yeah i mean i didn't know what the accent was right away yeah. but uh on the page it's it's written in quasi in a dialect i mean he yeah. it's ob- obvious that he's uh well uh, acquainted with Melville and Coleridge yeah. and Milton yeah, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stevenson <laughs> yeah there's yeah. a little bit of all of that in there but it's it's synthesized in a way that uh, is his own of course yeah so how did you get on with with uh, encountering the accent I can't imagine it's one that you've ever done before um, like that. not really and you know it, it ends up being kind of a west west country you know, accent, at least to yeah. our ear. Yeah. I mean, something that isn't quite Robert Newton, but uh, is like maybe from a place like yeah. Dorset or something yeah, like right. that. Yeah. In the day, I don't know about mm-hmm. now, but from dialect tapes we have and and from the logic of where this character would have come from, mm-hmm. we tried lots of different things, but uh, kept on returning to that kind of piratey, hard R yeah. um, kind of dialect. Is it a fun uh, voice to speak in? I mean, it's- it is. I mean, it's like anything. I, you know, I'm always struck by when you have different intentions with different kind of language, uh, where you want to place it in your voice and yeah. where it makes your mind go is always different. Yeah. I mean, I'm always struck that I, I, I speak Italian, for example, and where I place my voice just naturally goes someplace else because right. that's like my idea of how to speak Italian. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. helps me with how I pronounce things. Yeah. And yeah. It's similar. Yeah, it's okay. similar in a way. Yeah. Um, so you go to a different place in your voice yeah. and, and then that helps you access a different set of thoughts and a different way of being. Interesting. 
So, so this character you so played. So it becomes like a mask, basically, a right. performer's mask. And you're not thinking of it that way once you become flexible and, yeah. and it becomes a, a habit and something you feel comfortable with. Yeah. But that's really where it starts out. So did it become comfortable for you eventually? Like I think you could, so. You can slip so. into it pretty easily. And, but also keep in mind that this is the, the text is quite written because right. it's 1890s Maine yeah. seafaring stuff. Yeah. So there's no improvisation. Right. So outside of what's written, I don't know whether I could improvise <laughs> with the voice. Okay. So it's very funny yeah. uh, because it's, it's quite designed, but I felt quite comfortable. Yeah. So... Thomas Wake, the character you play is uh, a, a sailor and a, a wiki, as he calls right, himself, right. but uh, but there's also a lot of mystery to him. We, we yeah, never I, quite know whether to trust him or not. Exactly. Um, Unreliable narrator. Un exactly. Yeah. Was, was that's he a mystery to you? Did, you? did you... I didn't know sometimes. No. But, but I always had to consider what he says uh, to the other character played by Rob Pattinson. You just are always playing with where he's trying to tell the truth and where he's trying to manipul mm. manipulate the other guy. And that's not even clear. Yeah. And and that would slide around a little bit. And I, I think that was interesting. And it was okay. Sometimes you don't have to absolutely know why you're doing things as long as you have a point of contact where uh, it's alive. Yeah. Uh, I think that's the difference between experience something and showing something. Because sometimes if it's too designed in your intentions, you've got to have intentions. You've got to put something in motion, mm. but you can't have it so crafted that it doesn't, um, isn't able to shift with what the other character is giving with yeah. you and what circumstances are. Like, like you can't go into a scene saying it's got to be this way yeah. you have some idea about how it might go but it's also important to be very flexible to have it go someplace else mm -hmm. so I mention that only because I didn't always decide where he's lying and where he's telling the oh, truth interesting. and when I look at his face you know and I'd be telling him these things mm. I would kind of decide in the moment which mode it was yeah yeah so did you and, and Robert Eggers, the director, did you discuss this? Nothing. You didn't? Nothing. Okay. No, because he did. A, all the discussion is how he wrote it and how he set it up. Yeah. And that was plenty. Yeah. I didn't feel the need. Um, and it maybe it had to do with, you know, what kind of actor I am to some degree and the degree of trust I had with him. Um, I, Rob Pattinson very different kind of character i think he had more discussions okay. with him about what the character was yeah but it was my lighthouse i had my ideas <laughs> about how things were supposed to be run yeah and that was it <laughs> that's kind of the story fair enough <laughs> you know because it's you'll always, see to the light huh you you will see to the lights yeah, yeah i'll see to the light and yeah. i'll tell you when you know maybe <laughs> we can let you in on it <laughs> but it is it is such a mysterious film um and you know it doesn't give you any easy answers either no but at the same time the the actual narrative is quite simple sure yeah 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 i mean it's yeah it's two men in a lighthouse yeah, <laughs> yeah i got yeah. it um and, and as you say, yeah, you're acting opposite Robert Pattinson mm -hmm. the entire time, and it's quite an adversarial, adversarial relationship. Was what was it like off screen? Were you 
Um, we didn't see much each, of each other off yeah. screen because we were mostly mostly on screen. I okay. mean, it was terrible conditions. Yeah. You know, I mean, just physically, it was, you know, cold and wet. And so the tendency was that when you weren't actually in the scene, mm -hmm. uh, you'd go for cover. You'd yeah. get warm. Yeah. You'd change your clothes, you know. Um, it's like, it. it is funny. It's amusing to me that I didn't know Rob Pattinson mm -hmm. until after while we were doing press for this because mostly we just knew each other from inside the scene. Oh, right. And and one curious thing was uh, I did an interview with uh, him for Interview Magazine. And what was crazy is as we were working, I thought, wow, we have really different ways of working, really hmm. different approaches, but that's okay because we're different characters. Yeah. And then when, we when I interviewed him, speaking in a much freer way apart from the... Yeah. Uh, the things that uh, you know were dictated by the the actual movie i felt very close to some of the things he was saying and i thought oh my god you know it's like uh i didn't have a a, a good take on him yeah. and nor did he on me yeah. and it, we never really came together socially or personally yeah. until after the movie because uh what we were playing out i guess in the movie was that adversity you're talking about you yeah. know i mean basically a believer and a non-believer an old guy that's really set in his ways in a uh, in a system and a guy that's kind of lost and suspicious of uh the system yeah yeah i mean it's <laughs> i can imagine it's such an intense experience this sort of making a film like this but it was um, fun it was an adventure because it was so difficult but we mm -hmm. had such uh beautiful things to work with yeah as far as objects and that lighthouse was built beautiful right all the buildings that you see were built yeah yeah, yeah. uh the nature was brutal but it was pure it was a life adventure you know yeah. uh and that always helps of course because personally you're for that moment you're transformed and and you take that shift and apply it willfully to uh making that character yeah I, I read that you you stayed in a, a fisherman's cottage yeah, while, yeah, while yeah. filming. Was that yeah. would, would that help getting to character it, it a little did, bit? It did, but it was like totally practical. It wasn't like this design method thing. <laughs> but the truth was, I ended up living kind of like you do in a yeah. lighthouse. Yeah, and I loved it. But because we were only doing the movie, and it was quite remote, and it was quite difficult, so yeah. I was reduced to a series of actions and rituals that yeah. I really felt comfort in yeah. it's the comfort against all the um scariness and the volatility of the weather <laughs> yeah. and some of the difficult things we had to do yeah so that was that was instructive i'm sure it was yeah. and kept me sane yeah um one of my favorite scenes in the in the whole film is when you you curse robert's character with the, the curse of king triton for yeah yeah because he doesn't like your lobster cooking yeah yeah it's a beautiful beautifully written speech <laughs> and of course you know very funny yeah I mean, there's a lot of black comedy in this yeah i mean what was what that's such a sort of almost theatrical uh monologue to, to deliver like what was it like in in that moment so you're doing um, it like I'm, one take i'm right? trying to yeah one take uh no coverage mm. I'm just trying to connect with those words and make them matter mm. in in my intention to, you know, 
make this curse on him yeah. and shrivel him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's that's the task, and then just playing with that language and trying to find the rhythm and trying to find the power and really try to frighten him mm. and put the voodoo on him right. uh, was uh, my task. Yeah. And, and that was fun because it was it's beautiful language and the images are, are cool. And it's, it's so simple. Mm-hmm. It's basically a locked off shot and it's, I don't know how long it is, but it's one long monologue yeah. and I just try to um, fuck him up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And how is your lobster cooking? My lo- you know, I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> there you go. But I did. In fact, I had a moment where I cooked a lobster when I was there and I thought, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> I spent a lot of time in Maine and Maine, of course, is famous for the lobsters. So yeah. I, I've cooked many a lobster in my day, but I'm through with that. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, this might be a related question, but Willem, I, I, I have to ask about the farting because your, oh, yeah, yeah. your character is a prolific, uh, prolifically flatulent, perhaps is the way of putting it. Um, how much of that is, is you and how much is, is added in post? Scripted. It's all scripted. scripted. And uh, if you're asking whether I can do that on cue, <laughs> that's another question. And um, uh, No, it's just one of those natural things. Yeah. Yeah, but it's very funny, and it's you know that this film is so strange and dark, but it's also incredibly funny at times and undercut with these people are funny. Fun. People are funny, particularly mm. when they're in trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I, yeah, and really adds particularly to you. two men. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and it is like it is a study of men and masculinity, I guess, isn't it? Somewhat, it's, somewhat. Uh, you know, I I think it's. Uh, also about belief systems and and identity mm. identity yeah um you have a magnificent beard as well yeah um, yeah i'm proud of that beard that that's that's Took a little while that's your own that's that's oh, that I, we wouldn't do it any other pure way willem. Yeah, yeah. yeah pure willem yeah how did you how did you get on with that is it is did you have beard maintenance uh, <sighs> I just Any oils? Grew it. imagine that. Imagine yeah. that. No, no, we wanted it natural. Yeah. We didn't want to be too fussy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, things like that help. You know, I'm not used to wearing a beard that long. And uh, yeah, you feel different every day. When you look in the mirror, you don't recognize yourself. So that opens your, opens the door to being someone else. Yeah. It was funny, though, because I had to. One thing that was funny is I had to grow the beard. And while I was growing it, um, Ed Norton asked me to be in this movie, Motherless Brooklyn. Oh, yeah. Uh, that comes out soon, I think, in mm. the UK. And I initially I said, I don't think I can do it because I'm growing this beard for the lighthouse. And he said, and I said, because his film was a 1950s film. Right. And no one had a beard in the 1950s. It would have seemed strange yeah. and I wouldn't be able to really fold in, you know, with the other cast members. I'd stick out. It would mm. be wrong. And also, a little part of you is you're growing that beard for that specific character so you don't want to take anything away from right. that. that. That's a I Thomas Wake beard. Because it's like, that's the Tom Wake beard and, and it's funny how you get attached to those things and mm. they really mean something and they really mark some sort of uh, intention to transform mm. as it ended up I ended up doing the uh, Edward Norton thing and it worked fine because it made the character 
more marginalized, and that was important he, he, to be a part. But uh, I mentioned that only because when you grow a beard like that, you're you're marking something. You're marking a will to uh, be another person. Mm. That sounds superficial, but sometimes those externals really help you. Yeah, invite invite a switch, invite uh, consideration of other things yeah, that you aren't used to. Um, I think I'm almost out of time, but just finally, yeah. William, I just wanted to ask about uh, the French Dispatch, which yeah. is Wes Anderson's next Which film. I can't tell you much about. I'm sure. Because uh, I can tell you, just to be fair, that it's, you know, it's Wes Anderson. He's at the top of his game. He has this incredible cast mm. for it. Uh, but it's fair to say that it's not like uh, you'll see a lot of me. It's it's basically a cameo. Yeah, I a beautiful cameo. I worked a couple of days, had a great time, as I always do with Wes. Yeah, and uh, but I don't know so much about it. Okay, um, this is your it should be it should be beautiful. I'm sure. Yeah, this is your, your third time working with him now, right? This is- Let me think. Um, yeah, it's my third time, and also I did a voice on uh, Fantastic oh, Mr. Yes. Fox. So yeah. it's uh, Life Aquatic, Grand Budapest Hotel. I feel like it's something else. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, French Dispatch yeah. and uh, uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yeah. Well, we're very excited to see that. And Good. Congratulations no, I'm sure it'll again be beautiful. on the lighthouse. Okay, it's, thanks. Uh, fantastic. Yeah, well, thank cool. you for your time. Yeah. All right, so that was the great Willem Dafoe, and now you'll be very excited to hear that it's time to hear a word from our sponsors, because this week we are delighted to be sponsored by Mega Movie Week. Now, what is Mega Movie Week? I hear you cry. Well, Mega Movie Week is a week celebrating mega movies, of course, or more specifically, it is a campaign designed to help everyone get to grips with the actually not so tricky business of buying films online from digital stores. Now, you may raise an eyebrow at that, but going on to a digital store like Sky Store, etc., can feel like a truly daunting business for those who aren't technically proficient. It took me years to figure it out. For example, I used to just carry a projector and 35mm film cans with me wherever I went, but I had to stop when the second reel of Dr. Chifago was crushed irrevocably beneath the 1317 to Liverpool from London, Euston. Uh, and when I figured out that building a digital film collection is so easy, even I can do it, you just choose a film, you just download, and you just watch instantly, well, I embraced that path, guys. I'm sure you did too, right? We're all downloaders here. Yes. Yes. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Amon. Thanks, John. Uh, (laughs) And Mega Movie Week is going to make sure you have the perfect platform to start that digital collection. It runs up until Sunday, January 26th, with fantastic offers on hundreds of the latest and greatest films, whichever digital store you want to use. So it includes deep breath here Sky Store Apple TV Prime Video Google Play PlayStation Store Chili Microsoft Rakuten TV BT TV and TalkTalk TV whether you're planning a night on the sofa with your favourite film or you're checking out an acclaimed flick for the first time whilst on the go Mega Movie Week will help you take your first steps into a larger world simply visit megamovieweek.co.uk or your favourite digital store for more information and if you excuse me I have to return this portable Betamax player to the store it just just didn't work out, guys. Just a bit of a shame. Anyway, back to the regular podcast. Okay, so uh, that Make a Movie Week thing, like Spider-Man... It's dead good. Yeah, it's dead good. 
Spider-Man, Spider-Verse, 4K, yeah. three yeah. pounds. Three quid, three quid for 4K. Okay. Phantom that's Thread in 4K for three pounds. Yeah, that's pound twenty-five or so for every K. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And in Spider-Verse, that's like maybe is like right? 50p per spider person. Your math is blowing my mind. <laughs> wait, no, wait, wait. No, no, wait. 75p per K, right? Because you get four Ks, you get three yeah. pounds, 75p. And yeah, I think it works out. <laughs> there are at least six spider people in Spider-Verse, so that's yeah. 50p per spider person. What's not to love? Can't say fairly than that. Can't say fairly than that. Uh, anyway... <laughs> Time now to talk about this week's movie news. Mm. Are you guys prepared? Yeah. Uh, yes, what, what, have brought, what have you brought me? Uh, Ghibli. Oh, hang on. Should we, should we start with awards? Oh, he's, he's gone straight in. <laughs> I'm just... Go on then. Um, so uh, last weekend there were some awards. Uh, we're thick of award season, so we had um, the SAG Awards and the PGA Awards. This uh-huh. is the, the guilds for the producers and the actors, mm-hmm. respectively. Um, and it was... 1917 got the big one uh, for the PGAs, which makes it now the front runner for Best Picture at the Oscars. It tends to be there's the, the voting bodies share mm-hmm. voters um, with the Oscars and the PGAs. So that is a big signifier that 1917 could, could sweep up at the Oscars. But the big surprise at the SAG Awards was that Parasite took home the Ensemble Acting Awards, which, uh, you know puts that in a bit of a front-runner status as well for, for Best Picture at the Oscars, or at Which least was, a few of the major awards. Who knows? It was a surprise, but it was also... It should be unsurprising, um, because it is you know, a very much a deserved winner of that award, and it's been frustrating uh, to watch sort of other awards bodies not give any sort of acting nominations to the people in Parasite, despite nominating it in many other categories. Yes. Um, so I was very happy that it won that award. It does seem strange that the Oscars didn't manage to nominate anyone from that film uh, in an acting category, despite picking up, I think, six yep. os- nominations mm. at the Oscars. Just like Little Woman's uh, Planet directed itself. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's a few contradictions going on there. But it's, but it's interesting. I think the Oscars race sort of heated up a little bit this week. It's, uh, you know... Temperature-wise, mm-hmm. metaphorically, <laughs> like the, the PGAs are like the least sexy of the award yes. season ones. But like you said, they are some of the more important ones in terms of who might actually what's picking up steam in the in the Oscars season in the awards race. Um, I'd be quite happy to see 1917 win a bunch of stuff. I think that's a great film. Um, and if this means sort of extra weight on Parasite, I finally saw Parasite this week. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, so I'd be, oh, I'd be so thrilled if that. I mean, it's still so haven't rare. had the pleasure. It's super rare that um, is, an international yeah. film sort of yeah. breaks through. I, I think the last time it happened was The Artist in 2011. Mm-hmm. So it does happen. It can happen. It can happen. Um, yeah. And I think this film, that film, I'm sure we'll come to it properly in a few weeks, but it has that such good crossover appeal. It's such an exciting sort of enjoyable film. No spoilers, um, please. I know nothing about it. No, no, no. It's my, it's my favourite film of 2020 and I can't and see 2019. it. And 2019. And <laughs> 2019. Yeah. I mean, it's my favourite film of many years, I would say. And, and and I would be very surprised if a film top, topples it from the 2020 list. It's I, really bloody good. And it's um, the first South Korean film ever to be nominated for an Oscar. And it picked yeah. up six. We were literally saying the exact same thing uh, before we started recording. It's... A phenomenal it's movie. Crazy. And yeah, I, I hope that we are wrong. I hope something else comes along this year that, you know, that I love more than Parasite, but 
it will be very, very difficult. Um, yeah. It is a spectacular film. Chris, Much, you need to see it I know. immediately. Well, I'm recording the podcast right now, I'm on, but I, <laughs> I'm, I've got At your earliest tonight. convenience. At my earliest convenience. That's, <laughs> that's settled for that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I don't know what's going to beat it this year. I don't know if it's as good as you guys say it is, uh, because I don't think... Murder Mystery 2 is going to be out this year. I think it's uh, it's one of those things. <laughs> they need but, a lot of time to come up with that really, really good plot yeah, that those they, Adam Sandler Netflix movies have. They, they really do. They, you, you got listen to you. Listen to you. <laughs> the next Netflix Adam Sandler movie is Uncut Throwing Gems. Shade, yeah. so. <laughs> pouring scorn. I see you, Ben Travis. I see you. Uh, anyway, after Murder Mystery is robbed at the SAG Awards, <laughs> SAG Awards, SAG, who calls it the SAG? Uh, the SAG Awards, um... Yeah, that's uh, that's yeah awards. Yeah, hmm. yeah, it's exciting. Well, <laughs> awards. Okay. The um, yeah. the other mm. categories at the SAG Awards mm. tended to be the ones that we expected. So, Joaquin Phoenix won for Joker. Renee Zellweger won for Judy. Uh, Brad Pitt won for <laughs> Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm on a shaking his head. Which one? And uh, which one? Joaquin uh, Phoenix for Joker. I mean, like, yes. is this basically uh, as Helen sent you as like? <laughs> Her emissary, and is you know, is this like Return of the Jedi, where she holds her hand? I've sent you these two droids. <laughs> I did. Uh, to be fair, I did promise Helen that were I to sub in for her today, that you'd I go. would. If everyone said Joker, you'd go shit on Joker as is tradition. Um, but look, look, Wacken Phoenix is actually not. He's actually pretty good in Joker. I'll, I'll give it that. <laughs> but, but, to, to pretty good. How? how are we talking about Joaquin Phoenix and Joker when Adam Driver in Marriage Story is right there? Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, it is not close in terms of which performance is better. So that is why I'm shaking my head profusely yep. at the fact that Joaquin Phoenix is sweeping up the awards when it should be Kylo Dan Ren getting his just. Uh, I think you'll find he's called Ben Solo and he was redeemed. <laughs> so. Oh, for goodness sake. Oh, Whoa. Spoiler alert there. Yeah, spoiler alert. alert. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh, SpaghettiOs. I, we will get angry no. tweets about that. We will. But uh, but hey-ho, it's been out for weeks. Uh, so uh, let's talk about something that dropped last week, as per usual. Once a podcast went up, something quite major dropped. Uh, two major things dropped, actually. One I'll probably talk about, hopefully, on next week's show with James, because I think this is closer to our hearts than perhaps anyone else in this room. But the, uh, the news that Lee Child, the author of the Jack Reacher series, uh, is going to retire and uh, is handing over the reins to his brother, who is also a thriller writer called Andrew Grant, because Lee Child's real name is is Jim Grant. Oh. And uh, but he's made his brother change his name by, <laughs> really? to, to Andrew Child. No, what? In order to take over the uh, the reins, so they're going to be writing the next couple of books together. So as of next year, the twenty fifth Jack Reacher book, The Sentinel, is going to come out, and that's going to be written. It's on. The, I've already seen the cover. It says Lee Child in huge letters and then the smaller letters like four point font it's and Andrew Child uh, underneath <laughs> uh, and so then uh, gradually he's going to take over the series and start writing them himself and uh, I'm very conflicted about this I, at the same time uh, Lee Child is very uh, he owes me nothing <laughs> he's given me a great deal of pleasure over the years he is a friend of the pod he's been on the podcast a couple of times uh, and I wish him a very very happy retirement if he wants to go off and do whatever he uh, wants to do he's earned the right and billions of dollars to help him do that that's totally fine but uh, I want more Reacher in my life and I want proper Reacher not watered down Reacher um, but uh, 
Anyhow, there we are. But anyway, I can sense from the three blank faces <laughs> looking at me. <laughs> Uh, this is a conversation perhaps best had with James and everybody else week. said nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen I've seen Jack Reacher Yo. never go back or whatever that <laughs> film was. And forget I, forget the films. I'm 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 sort of fine. I don't think I'm gonna. I don't think I'm ever gonna <clears throat> read a Jack Reacher book. To be uh, honest, you should because they're absolutely incredible. Uh, you, I can see you sneering at it from your little ivory tower, going, "Oh, isn't it a bit? Oh, just a man with big arms punching someone." Malcolm Gladwell loves him. Malcolm Gladwell. <laughs> Malcolm fucking Gladwell. He's a hack. He's been reading for 10,000 hours. He really he, <laughs> he finally got good at it. Ah, oh, that was a highbrow joke, wasn't it? That was pretty, that was pretty happy with that one. Anyway, we'll talk more about that next week um, <laughs> on the show. But the sad news that broke last week uh, was that uh, following the Disney takeover of Fox, that 20th Century Fox is no more. Yeah. Fox Searchlight is no more. And um, by that, I mean... Both of those those storied studios are being rebranded to 20th Century Studios and Searchlight Pictures. I I feel a bit sad about this, guys. Yeah. I actually was at a screening at Fox today uh, in Soho Square at their offices. It's now just called Subway. (laughs) Well, I think think the building is... It's going to be yeah. sold, isn't it? it I is, think yeah. it's, it's yeah. disappearing. But yeah. that's, uh, a, that's a huge part of London's film history, right there. Mm-hmm. It is, and the you know the neon sign is iconic in Soho. But that's where I saw X Men uh, Apocalypse. Apocalypse. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Yeah, story stories history. It's where I saw the trailer for X Men Dark Phoenix three times <laughs> before speaking to Simon. Right, knock it, it, it down. Knock it down. <laughs> But the, at the screening today, the, the film had the new logo without Fox. It just oh. said Searchlight oh. Pictures. Did it still have the and fanfare? It yeah, it still had the fanfare. Okay. I think, so I think the reason in this rebranding is just because so Disney owned, owned 20th Century Fox, obviously, and I think they just want to distance themselves from Fox News and the Fox Channel, I which is that. owned separately. It's still owned by News Corp. I get that. but So it's a, it's a branding but exercise. But 20th Century Fox shouldn't be tainted. Yeah. by Fox News it came before Fox News it, it, it has its own yeah. unique niche in film history and I feel that hopefully it won't be completely erased and eradicated uh, you know the, the Fox uh, back catalogue and archives will hopefully still be available obviously we've heard all those rumours and reports that that uh, that repertory theatres for example mm. mainly in the US as far as I can tell aren't able to show Fox movies because that's Disney's policy. Disney don't allow cinemas to run their movies. And that now apparently extends to Fox as well. Mm. I would hope, really, really hope that you have that, that incredible, incredible archive and you do something positive with it and you do something positive with the name. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because that was the original name, 20th Century uh, Pictures, I think, before it merged with Fox Studios. I mean, we're talking, what, the 30s or 40s. Um, there there were two separate studios that became 20th Century Fox so it's mm. sort of harking back to a historic past but um Yieldy. but it does yeah it does feel a little bit like they're scrubbing scrubbing history it does it does it feels it feels a bit of a shame it feels like someone's gone up to fox and gone what's your name and they've gone 20th century 20th century what <laughs> look off in the distance <laughs> 20th century Skywalker. <laughs> and, and this that's is another right the Skywalker story. Is that true? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> that's how this that's how that's what the music comes in after she said that line. Oh, okay. Okay. You missed the moment, that's fine. Ah, uh, that's fine. Totally good. Uh, <laughs> all right. 
some other bits and pieces of news to get through. Uh, this is a rumor, file under rumor at the moment, but Taika Waititi might direct a Star War, mm. and a reg- uh, like a big, big Star War, and as opposed to the little Star War he's directed in the last episode of The Mandalorian. And he responded to this rumor by confirming it as a rumor by posting on Twitter the album cover for Fleetwood Mac's Rumors, which I thought was a great way to, re- to respond to that. Um, I mean, I think we'd all be happy to see this. Um, we love Taika. He's proven, especially with Thor Ragnarok, that he can take on these sort of bigger properties and infuse a bit of his own personality in there, but still make it true uh, to sort of weaving into the whole. But um, he's a, such a busy guy. He's in the middle of shooting Next Goal Wins, at the moment, he uh, has Thor, Love and Thunder coming up. Yep. Um, so he's already got a pretty stacked schedule. He's still obviously in the sort of awards season talk for, for Jojo Rabbit. Mm-hmm. So he's he's got plenty, of, he, uh, he's got a lot of things going on. Next goal wins is wrapped apparently. Yeah. Oh, has it? Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe that slightly frees him up. But um, I, d- I, I don't know about this. Ooh. I, I, I feel like... I, I don't know that his sensibilities are well matched with that franchise. I think... I haven't seen the last episode of The Mandalorian, or indeed any Mandalorian for that matter. It's out here March 24th, but um, certainly reviews in the States say that his last episode is really, really good. Yeah, I'm, I don't doubt it. I, I wonder, though, that a film might be quite a different proposition to yep. an episode of a TV show where there's already an established sort of template you, you're working towards. And also, I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of weird that he is essentially a comedy director and they fired Phil Lord and Chris Miller on, so, on Solo for reportedly it was too comedic and improvisational. And that's yeah. exactly his style. And, you know... Tyke had tweeted in 2017 that he, I mean, the tweet was when he was suggested for a Star Wars film, he tweeted back, lol, I like to complete my films. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be fired within a week. Um, so, you know, that I, I, what's going on in, behind the scenes at Star Wars, at Lucasfilm? I, will he get fired is the question. <laughs> Let's go put the, sweep, the sweepstake. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not mad that Tyke has been approached from a fan uh, of him, as I'm sure everyone else is at this table, I just want the. I want there to be a bit of a break before we started having these discussions again. We've just had the last Star Wars film. Everyone, uh, aside from Mr. Travis, at uh, this table uh, was disappointed by it. Um, shall we say? And yeah, I you know that was billed as like the final sort of Star Wars for obviously everyone knows it's not the final final Star Wars, but I want there to be a bit of a respite before we started having these conversations again. If, you know, five, ten years down the line, uh, Tiger does end up making it, um, maybe there would have been enough of a gap between now and then for there to be sort of more leeway with Tiger putting his own spin to it. Um, but yeah, we shall see. I'm more worried about his schedule. I don't, I don't want him to suffer burnout, quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> Because he is a precious and rare jewel, and we must be must be protected at all costs. <laughs> um, yeah, and I just I worry about you know take a break after Thor: Love and Thunder. Mm. Just take a, a couple of weeks off. That'll, that'll do, and then and recharge. But also, I'd like there to be a, a sense of a strategy. 
that would be nice. A uh, roadmap. With uh, with the Star Wars movies rather than just, oh, uh, yeah, would you like to direct a Star Wars? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. You Absolutely. get a Star Wars. You, <laughs> you get a Star Wars. <laughs> Look into your chairs. You all get a Star Wars. Uh, well, Ben, you've actually preempted the announcement. I wasn't going to spoil it for the listeners. But, uh, Under my chair? Really? Everyone listening to this podcast gets to direct the Star Wars. It's true. It's true. Just uh, email Ben at benthemparaline.com. <laughs> That's why I say is the true meaning of The Last Jedi's ending, that yeah, everybody yeah. has the power to make a Star War. Purple yeah. lightsabers for everyone, yeah. I say. And in fairness, 75% of us will be fired halfway through the process, but <laughs> those who make it, it's like, like sperm, isn't it? Anyway, what? um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> My default setting, guys. What can I do? Uh, so, yes, we're very excited about that, maybe, or we're not excited about it, or it might not happen, or it may happen. Who knows? Anyway, so there's been some news uh, in the world of Marvel. Uh, obviously, Richard Batten is currently tucking into a chicken katsu curry at Wagamama. <laughs> <laughs> Just around the corner, he's asked for extra sauce. You always have to. There. They always skimp out on the sauce, but if you ask they them, do. they'll bring over a bowl and it's almost too much sauce, but you should <laughs> have it all anyway. <laughs> like when you a have a katsu curry, sauce. yeah, yeah, they bring you a huge <laughs> bowl of sauce, sauce trough on the back, yeah. <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by a Wagamama. I wish it were sponsored by Wagamama. Oh my God, that'd be amazing. Not, of course, to denigrate our actual sponsors, <laughs> makeamovieweek.co.uk. Love those guys. Love, those, Love guys. those guys. And they will also give you extra sauce, but it's, <laughs> it's figurative rather than, than literal. Uh, but hey, whilst we're on the subject of Wagamama, have you ever had the banana katsu curry? I have not. Yes. It's not curry, so to speak, but it's a, it's a dessert. Banana katsu. It's incredible. It is, it's, it's like breaded. It's like crispy. Oh, it's warm. Wow. It's delicious. Uh, banana I've, flavored? I've had, it's banana. Actual so banana. Yes. <laughs> so it's banana, it's banana flavored banana. 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 <laughs> so I've been to actual Michelin starred restaurants and not had desserts as good as this. This is incredible. So uh-huh. it's, it's banana. And it's uh, coated in breadcrumbs, panko breadcrumbs. That's where the katsu comes from. And then it has a sort of hot toffee fudge sauce spread over it. But here's the kicker. It also comes with two scoops of delicious salted caramel ice cream. And you can actually taste the salted caramel. And you put that bad boy in your mouth. Oh, my God. It's heaven time. Okay. Also, Chris introduced me to Bang Bang Cauliflower. <laughs> so it's bang, not bang, a sexual bang, thing. Bang, it's bang. <laughs> Just to be clear, the banana with the two scoops and the Bang Bang are yes. not in any way sex related. Nope. Absolutely not. I would like to put it on the record uh, for my dossier. <laughs> okay. So yes, check out Bang Bang Cauliflower and... Uh, and check out makeamovieweek.co.uk as well while you're at it also. Uh, anyway, Richard Madden's having a cancer curry. He's loving it. But uh, Captain Marvel 2 is on the uh, the starting grid. Mm. Mm. Uh, they've announced this week they've they've brought on a writer, which is always a good place to start with these things, Megan McDonnell. And meanwhile, Michelle Yeoh is in talks to join Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Yeah. I like that a lot. Even though she's a Ravager. She's in... Guardians of the Galaxy 2, right? No one, no one cares. I mean, those 10 seconds were the best 10 seconds of that <laughs> film. But Gemma Chan's in Eternals and she yes, was in yeah, Captain yeah. Marvel, so it, it's happened. It's happened before. And, uh, well, if you want to, uh, we, should, we, should we do this? Should we do Because uh, I've got a spreadsheet. 
I've got a spreadsheet. <laughs> Alpha Woodard is in uh, Captain America Civil War and in mm-hmm. Luke Cage as well. Yeah. Uh, oh, and in fact, and Rehearsal Ali, when he plays Blade, he will also have played two roles in the MCU, kind of, although I guess we're not really considering those shows necessarily. Okay, but anyway, because he was also a Cottonmouth in <laughs> Luke Cage. And Laura Haddock. There's numerous examples, actually, but Laura Haddock. Uh, plays Peter Quill's mum in Guardians of the Galaxy, but mm. also is an enthusiastic autograph hunter who asks for Steve Rogers' signature in Captain America, the first Avenger. Who wouldn't? That was loaded <laughs> with sexual <laughs> Ask for Steve... Of- <laughs> Oh. oh, okay. Uh, okay. Uh, Who wouldn't ask for Steve? Am I right? Uh, <laughs> Rogers? Um, well, if he has the time. Okay. No. <laughs> uh, on the on the Captain Marvel front, so yes. obviously they're they're looking for a director at the moment. Um, Are you offering this? Uh, it wouldn't be my place. Apparently, they're looking for another female director to take over. Anna Burden and Ryan Fleck. It seems like aren't going to be involved in Captain Marvel 2 but may still be involved in future Marvel projects but it popped into my head I was thinking uh, earlier today who who would be who would be great to take over Captain Marvel I would love nothing more than Olivia Wilde to direct Captain Marvel 2 I saw this tweet I like this tweet I stand this tweet it's a good tweet um, <laughs> so yeah. we, we say Sebastian now instead of Stan oh really <laughs> yeah. I Sebastian this tweet I can, I can get with that um, but yeah that's, that's a really great shout and yeah, no, I, I don't mind that uh, sort of Anna Budden and Ryan Fleck aren't returning because when I think of uh, sort of MCU directors who've managed to put a lot of their vision into a Marvel film I don't really think of Captain Marvel as much as I enjoyed watching it yeah. I think of Ryan Coogler Black Panther, I think of Taika and Thor Ragnarok. Uh, so it'd be good. For... I, think, I think of Alan Taylor with Thor The Dark World. <laughs> uh, so it'd be good for whoever sort of jumps <laughs> into Captain Marvel if they're able to uh, put more of an imprint of their vision into the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be good. I, I, yep, I agree completely with that. I think as much as I enjoy Captain Marvel, it is middle to lower tier Marvel for me. I revisited last week with my wife and it's fun. The Mendelssohn's fun. It's fine. It's good. But I think there was a reason we barely mentioned it on the Review of the Year podcast last year, despite the fact it made a billion dollars. Mm. So uh, who knows? Mm. I may, maybe Bowden and Fleck didn't have the best experience either. Who knows? Who knows? It's really interesting, though, that uh, this film is going to be set in the present day. A lot of people were thinking that it was going to be another prequel. Uh, but yeah, Captain Marvel 2 in present day should be very interesting, especially because I think um, that sword... Uh, which is a sort of a sister organization to S.H.I.E.L.D., is going to be a big thing in Phase 4 and beyond, and Captain Marvel's going to have a big part to play with that. It doesn't have to be set on Earth either, mm-hmm. does it True. necessarily? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was Nick Fury up to at the end of Spider-Man Far From Home? We may, we may never know. They may forget to tell us. <laughs> but uh, that's exciting. And Michelle Yeoh in, in Shang-Chi, which is that's mm-hmm. coming together a lot quicker, obviously, because that's going to start filming fairly soon, I'd imagine. What with it being out next year? Mm. <laughs> next February, in fact. So, yeah, good casting so far for that. Tony Lung and uh, Simu Liu as uh, Shang-Chi himself and Aquafina, of course. So, yeah, shaping up pretty damned nicely indeed. Anything else? Can we talk about the uh, David Lynch short on Netflix? Have you seen it? Yeah. I haven't seen it yet, so yeah. I, I started watching it on my lunch break and it was just not the right mood 
I, I, I think you, with any, it's very Twin Peaks esque, David Lynch, right? You need to be in the right mindset to watch. Seventeen minutes it's long, John. I know, I know. <laughs> What's I it called? Just having a stressful day. It's called <laughs> What Did Jack Do? What and did Jack do? <laughs> it's I mean, basically that yeah, for seventeen is. minutes. It's, it's David Lynch <laughs> as a as a um, sure as like an investigator interrogating a capuchin monkey <laughs> called Jack, <laughs> who is accused of a murder, and it ends. With a lot of shouting of the word Tutatabon! Tutatabon! Which um, myself and Chris Lupton have been shouting at each other <laughs> across the office this week. Tutatabon! 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 If I explain what that is, it's a spoiler. Wow. Okay. But um, if you've got 17 minutes and uh, considerable mental capacity for it, <laughs> you can watch What Did Jack Do right now on Netflix. He dropped it on his birthday, which is nice. That's nice. For his birthday, he gave us a treat. Well, fair play, honestly, genuinely fair play to Netflix for allowing you know one of the great filmmakers to do this, to give yeah. him a platform. I think as well, it's, it's just quite nice to see a platform like Netflix, one of the things they can do between this and the Tom York short, Anima, from uh, mm. late last year. There mm-hmm. was uh, Paul Thomas Anderson who did that. Having an outlet for for filmmakers to just make these cool little weird short films and you're not necessarily going to go and see those in the cinema or if they just get released on YouTube, it feels, I don't know, just it it feels different those coming out on a platform like Netflix Mm. and streaming services. You can make whatever you want and they can put it out there and uh, find an audience for it. Those crazy things. I I can't remember if I talked about this at any any point in the podcast the last couple of weeks, so apologies if I have, but... John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch. Oh, yeah. Did anyone see that on, on Netflix over Christmas? Mm-mm. I think I talked about the Kevin Hart documentary that I watched, but the yeah. John Mulaney show is really fun. So it's a parody of kind of a Mr. Rogers type special, which doesn't really fly in this country because we never really got specials like that. So it's a bit of a variety special. He's playing this, he's playing a sort of more funkier version of himself and he's friends with all this this bunch of kids called the Sack Lunch Bunch and there's those musical numbers and little sketches and cameos from people like David Byrne and uh, but Jake Gyllenhaal appears in the last five to ten minutes as a character called Mr. Music he's playing himself playing a character called Mr. Music and he's deranged is this like Okja level of um, yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal yeah. where he's like cranked it up yeah. beyond even 11 he's yes. just absolutely nuts in that yeah. film it's glorious um, so check it out did you say you watched the Kevin Hart uh, I did did you, did you see my name pop up in it it did I did I was going to text you <laughs> and then I forgot yeah so <laughs> at the end of episode 4 um, there's a sort of a bit where it cuts to sort of quotes from the night school reviews which because you were you critics, gave it a kicking <laughs> i was like you know compared to some of the others i was fairly kind what did you give it i gave it two stars oh you're harsh man I called you're harsh it, i call it unfocused and uninspired and I'm that gonna, I'm pops call up it, on screen on no way. Magazine. i'm calling you unfocused <laughs> and uninspired how dare you uh, so yeah apparently i've taken your mantle john of ruining people's careers and <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for the Tom Hooper Netflix show. <laughs> my cat's review quote. Wow. I don't think Tom Hooper can either, to be honest. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, that's a bit surreal. So yeah. how, does that, how does that feel? Because uh, one thing, you've been singled out along with you know some other critics as well. Mm. So you've been singled out and your name is appearing in a Kevin Hart documentary. <laughs> and you're like, wow, that's incredible. There's a chance Kevin Hart might actually know who I am. Mm. The caveat is it's attached to a 
you know, a negative review. And if Kevin Hart does know who you are, it's because he's targeted you for death. <laughs> yeah, it's the rest of the documentary about him follow, trying to track you down <laughs> to take personal revenge. Oh my gosh. It should be. That would be amazing. <laughs> And then there'll be another Netflix documentary called Don't Fuck With Amon. <laughs> Would watch. <laughs> Would be in. <laughs> in fact, uh, yeah. What do you think? Did you see the documentary? What do you... I have not seen the documentary. You're a You thought it was uninspired. <laughs> <laughs> no, somebody sent me that. I was like, what? And then I went to, to you know, confirm it, and I did, and I didn't I haven't actually sort of gone to episode one and started the thing yet. But is it if good? you watched two minutes, then Netflix counted that as a view. <laughs> oh, That's yeah. true. That is so ridiculous. Uh, I don't wow. like that at all. But well, yeah. Amon's new Netflix show, Amon <laughs> Warman, unfocused and uninspired, <laughs> will be dropping later on in the year. It's only 17 minutes long, thankfully. So <laughs> that's good. Anything else? Well, while we're on the Netflix thing, just a small thing, but um, the Studio Ghibli catalogue, or the vast majority yes. of the Studio Ghibli catalogue, is coming <laughs> to Netflix, which, other like than just I just being... think of Freeman's catalogue. I just think of Totoro just mobbing <laughs> lots of lovely jackets. Oh, I would love that. I would love, if, if A cat bus in the lingerie section. <laughs> Obviously, Miyazaki is coming out of retirement. So this is the first time that um, the Ghibli films have been available digitally in any format. So this is why it's a sort of extra coup. Um, I, I think they've recently gone uh, on American um, streaming services to like purchase on iTunes or whatever. But um, across the world, they've only ever been available on, on DVD or on, Blue, on Blu-ray in hard copies. Um, and it's quite a big deal for Netflix to have um, got this. Uh, anywhere outside of the US, Canada and Japan, all of their films, apart from, I think, Grave of the Fireflies, which I think the rights are slightly tricky on that one for some reason. Um, but the rest of the catalogue is going to be available. It starts from the 1st of February. They're releasing batches month by month. Mm. But as of the 1st of February, you can stream my neighbor Totoro and his bush. Um, and <laughs> Kiki's delivery. Did you just do context? Did you just do a callback to something that's almost certainly going to be cut <laughs> yeah. out? And I left small cutting points either side of it. You didn't, though. You didn't. didn't you though. went straight into it from and, and his bush. <laughs> Damn it. I tried to leave a cutting point. That's fine. Let's leave this bit in because then people yeah. will be all be confused. They'll be going, "What? What did Ben? What did, what did Ben say that was so bad it had to be cut out?" Yeah, I'm the person who says things so bad they have to get it cut out. I'm the host, man. Uh, I, clearly, I'm not going to say anything bad. Anyway, please continue. Uh, yes, my neighbor Totoro, uh, Laputa, Castle in the Sky, uh, Kiki's Delivery Service, Only Yesterday, bunch of lovely things. Oh, Porco Rosso. So many people haven't seen Porco Rosso, mm-hmm. and it's um, it's amazing. Uh, so yeah, it's just lovely. Uh, it'd be a way for a whole new, um, huge swathe of people to discover these films, make them really easily accessible. So yes, hooray. Nice one, Netflix. Superb. Well done, Netflix. Uh, uh, those, those films will be watched by 17 million households. Have you seen that this week? They're, they're releasing some viewing figures for some things now, and they've also... They've also dropped down the threshold of what counts as a watch to yeah. two minutes. <laughs> so if you watch it for two minutes, like I did that dreadful uh, Fred Armisen drumming special that he did, Stand Up For Drummers, oh, awful, absolutely mm-hmm. awful. Mm-hmm. Uh, that counts as a watch. Oh no, I watched the first 20 minutes of Six Underground and now that counts. <laughs> that counts as a watch. Uh, Apparently 86 hmm. million households or something like that watched uh, Six Underground. doesn't matter whether most of them went, what the fuck is this? <laughs> Speaking of Netflix, there's a trailer for Marky Mark's new film. Oh, uh, on board already. Is, is Peter Berg directing? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Doubly on board. 
Uh, yeah, so it's called Spencer Confidential. Less uh, on board. It <laughs> <laughs> stars Marky Mark and Winston Duke of Black Panther. Back on board again. <laughs> it's a roller coaster ride, I'm on. <laughs> and yeah, I watched the trailer and I thought it looked kind of fun. Uh, maybe the most sort of light-hearted uh, sort of Marky Mark Wahlberg, Peter Berg film that they've made. At least that's what it looks like. Um, and then I What's went. What's it about? What's it about? Um, it is uh, Marky Mike plays Spencer. Marky Mark. <laughs> yep, I'm, I'm keeping keeping on calling them this. Are the funky bunch in this one as well? <laughs> uh, TBD. Um, but yeah, that's he... what he calls his testicles, right? <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Um... <laughs> um, no. Um, Marky Mark, he's in prison. And uh, <laughs> persevere, Amon. Persevere. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying. Okay. You can do it. <clears throat> um, I'm trying to remember the plot from the trailer, but um, he he's in prison. He gets out. No, that's terrible. Um, I've, I've lost the thread. Oh, he's getting oh, thrown no, no, off listen. by Marky Mark's oh, testicles. I'm on board. <laughs> <laughs> the oh, oh my gosh. Listen, I'm on board for that. So, no. so he was in prison, but then he gets out. Yes. You didn't need to say anything more. <laughs> Sounds great. What was the other thing you were going to say? Um, he teams up with Winston Duke to oh, there's more to uh, solve the mystery of sort of how he was framed for more, for the murder which landed him in prison. Ah, there you go. Okay. Right there in the end. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, now I went to Twitter. Like, I don't know. Apparently, Spencer is based on like a series of books, and there was a TV show. And I, so this is my first sort of exposure to Spencer, but people are not happy that Mark Wahlberg is playing this role. It feels Spencer like... Spencer the TV show? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I'm going to look at that. And I think you're right. From what people are saying, it feels like the trailer makes it seem that they have watered down all the elements that make Spencer yes. Confidential special. And it just looks like another Mark Wahlberg and Peter Burke film. So... Um, the greatest film ever made is basically what you're saying. Yes, yeah. indeed. Spencer for Hire. I remember the show. Anyone else remember the show? No. Ben, uh, I'm on... <laughs> oh, Christ. How old am I? <laughs> oh, my God. I'm off to have an existential crisis, the endless. Uh, it ran for three seasons. It starred Robert Urick. Anyone remember Robert Urick? Nope. <laughs> Avery Brooks. You must remember Avery... Nope. From... Avery Brooks. You know, from Deep Space Nine. Never saw Deep Space Nine. Nope. Cisco from Deep Space Nine? Nope. Cisco who sings the thong song. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere James Dyer is exploding. <laughs> William H. Macy. Oh, oh I know him. Yeah, no. yeah, He's yeah. in Jurassic okay. Park 3. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, his wife's in prison. Um, uh, I think but James. She got out. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> and that's going to be the next Mark Wahlberg and Peter Berg oh, collaboration. Yeah. This is amazing. This is going to, every week now. I'm going to bring Amon back to just you know prison movies explained by Amon Warman, number forty-seven, The Shawshank Redemption. So there's this guy, and he's in prison, and he gets out next week on Amon Warman, The Rock. <laughs> Well, that's really confusing. Oh, that is that is a tricky one. <laughs> so they were out of prison, then they get in. <laughs> Weird, huh? Oh, dear. It, the, the last Mark Wahlberg and Pittsburgh collaboration, Mile 22, um, mm-hmm. featured Mark Wahlberg as a super genius who <laughs> <laughs> has the special ability to put together blank jigsaws. Will that be a plot point in Spencer Confidential oh, by, really going bad, by this trailer? Uh, 
Potentially. <laughs> so now, Mile Twenty Two. I I hated that film. Can oh you name? Gosh. It. I mean, among other things, yep. when you have Eko Uwe in your movie, yeah, your only job is to put the camera there, go on your lunch break, and let Eko Uwe do what he does, not to cut around him twenty four seven to the point where I can't appreciate what Eko Uwe does, and that film does that a whole lot, and it really annoyed me. This is true. Can you name all the Peter Berg, Mark Wahlberg collaborations? Deepwater Horizon. Mm-hmm. It's a good one. Um, Patriots Day. Correct. The one with, with the, the war and the fighting, the soldiers. Uh, <laughs> for, uh, war films explained by John Nugent. Uh, it's got guns. <laughs> it's got um, Last Survivor or something. Lone Survivor. Lone there Survivor. Okay. okay. You got it. Lone Survivor, Deepwater Horizon, Patriot's Day, Mile 22, and now, of course, Spencer Confidential. How exciting. Every film better than the last. Just uh, just exponentially better. Is it now? All right, is that it for movie news? I think so. Yeah. Everyone's exhausted. Hugo Weaving's not coming back from Matrix 4. Oh, yeah. But that's, yeah. you know, no one was expecting issues. that. Yeah. I mean, I'm a bit I, bummed I, by that. I like Agent Smith. I love Agent Smith, yeah. And especially in the first film, he has so many amazing, iconic scenes. Um, so, yeah, at the same time, uh, maybe, you know, after three movies of Smith versus Neo, it's time to switch it up, so. And are there thoughts as well that Jonathan Groff might be some kind of agent character? He has that very smooth look. I don't know. I've seen his face up close <laughs> and it's very smooth. He's got a smooth face. Um, so. <laughs> Did you rub his face? I didn't rub his face when um, I interviewed him for Frozen 2 because that would have been deeply inappropriate. Also, Josh Gad was in the room and I wouldn't mm. have wanted him to feel left out. So, But you would have had to rub Gad's face as well, wouldn't you? Uh, to be fair, I would have happily done that. It's a lovely face. Yeah. Uh, God, this is taking a weird turn. <laughs> next week on Celebrities Whose Faces We'd Love to Rub. <laughs> no, um, no physical touch. Willem Dafoe's face. Oh, no, we've already yeah. established no, no physical, physical touch. touch. That's my rule. First rule of journalism. <laughs> no touching. <laughs> There's always money in the banana stand, <laughs> especially the banana Katsu stand. Am I right? Mm, Wagamama. It all comes together. It really does. Just a couple of last things to talk about. Uh, a couple of shameless plugs because the Empire Podcast Live is coming your way over the next couple of weeks. As we've already mentioned on the podcast, we're going to be in London for our 400th episode. That's going to be in just a couple of weeks' time, Wednesday, February 5th. There are still some tickets available for that show. They have now. Open to the balcony, I am reliably informed upstairs. If you want to get a really good look at my bald spot, you can go up and and, uh, and, and, and look down from on high. Uh, are we sending this right? It's glorious. <laughs> it really is glorious. You're, you're absolutely right. Sorry. We also have some incredible guests, and I genuinely mean that. I'm not going to announce who they are, uh, just in case, you know, they get hit by a truck or something. But for the first time in live podcast history, I know who the guests are going to be, not just a day in advance, <laughs> not just sometimes two hours in advance, like episode 250, I think, when Macquarie turned up and I was like, I didn't know. He he said, I'm coming. But I didn't know until he showed up at the back of the room that he was actually going to be able to make it. So it was that was a bit, a bit you know, a bit interesting. But anyway, uh, we have some incredible guests. They are locked down. They are, you're going to want to see these people live in the room. Trust me. Uh, so if you want to come to the London show, tickets are available via King's Place. That's where we're hosting it. King's Place, wonderful venue in London. Kingsplace.co.uk. Search for Empire Podcast 400 and it should come up with a ticket link. And we would love to see you there. 
then people have been asking us, surprisingly, <laughs> honestly, uh, to come to Dublin for ages. We came to Belfast last year as part of our first mini tour of the UK and we went to Belfast, which was glorious, of course, for both Helen and myself in particular. Uh, but we're delighted to be going to Dublin as part of the Dublin Film Festival. Uh, so the, the the Emerald Isle, the bigger uh, the bigger Ireland. <laughs> We're going to go there uh, f- March 6th. March 6th for that one. Could be very, very exciting. That's a 6.30 kickoff. Tickets are available via the Dublin Film Festival website. Basically, if you go to diff, diff.ticketsolve.com, uh, you'll be able to search for the Empire podcast there as well. And tickets for that one are selling pretty fast, I am told. So if you do fancy coming to see us in Dublin with a special guest again, TBC, and I do not announce these guests until they show up on stage, then uh, do come along. It's going to be an absolutely belting evening and we cannot wait to be in lovely old Dublin. And there may be one final live podcast to be announced in the next couple of weeks. Maybe. We'll see. Uh, keep them peeled on Twitter, just in case. A mini pot tour. Kind of, yeah. But also... Unofficially, no. (laughs) (laughs) And very officially, also no. Uh, We are still hoping to do another uh, tour, a slightly bigger one, later in the year. This is just, you know, uh, this is 400th episode, plus the Dublin show just happened to be around the same time, and this other one might also be around the same time. But uh, yes, we are going to do another tour. It's going to be later in the year, and it will be official. One last shameless plug to get out of the way is that the new issue of Empire magazine is on sale right now. It is issue 372. It is the March 2020 edition, and it is an absolute belter. We have decided, because it is 2020, to look back upon the previous two decades and come up with a list of the 100 greatest movies of the 21st century. Brackets so far, because we realise there's 80 years to go yet. <laughs> uh, so this is not this this is not set in stone. It can change. Parasite, I think you might be in there. I've got a feeling yep. Parasite <laughs> might be in there if we were to do this list again in 20 years' time. But we canvass critics, everyone in this room. Uh, nominated some films and we canvassed you guys as well the readers and we came up with an incredible list which is out there Ben it's out there people know what it is yes yeah the full list uh, has been full revealed list is out online there, yeah. <clears throat> uh, but the magazine has completely different content inside it's got uh, critic essays it's got your reader reviews it's got a whole swathe of amazing new interviews with incredible people like Greta Gerwig and Edgar Wright and Denny Villeneuve and Peter oh, Ramsey and Paul, Paul Feig and Paul, Paul Feig there is an extremely wholesome picture because we've done loads of amazing photo shoots for this as well of Paul King director of Paddington and Paddington 2 talking about Paddington 2 and sitting in Primrose Hill eating a marmalade sandwich it's a glorious thing just around the corner in fact from this very very building yeah could have gone into Wagamama's for a banana katsu chose not to <laughs> uh, we also shot George Miller let's, you know, let's give it away the number one film is Mad Max Fury Road and George Miller the director of that I had the pleasure of talking to and then uh, he volunteered to drive out to a beach near Sydney and he brought his very own Morton Joe steering wheel and that became the steering wheel became our subscribers cover which is fantastic now if you don't already subscribe to Empire Magazine one of the great incentives by the way is that every subscribers cover is bespoke it's completely different from the newsstand cover uh, and is often a wonderful piece of art in this case a wonderful piece of bespoke photography by the photographer Damien Bennett it is great Bad news is, if you subscribe to Empire today, you will not get this cover. But the good news is that you will qualify to get every other cover 
for the duration of your subscription. And also, this month's issue, um, the new stand edition <clears throat> comes in six collectible covers, all exclusively illustrated by the amazing Paul Shipper. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've seen some of our recent Star Wars subs covers, he did those. He is next level good. So we've got, uh, there's one with the next Frank. Drew Struzan, I'm saying. Yes, he has that very, like, Drew Struzan sort of uh, pencil illustration style. Um, he drew for us uh, Frank the bunny from uh, Donnie Darko. Yes. Gandalf the White, uh, as seen in Lord of the Rings Return of the King. We've got um, Wonder Woman. There's one that's Kylo Ren and Rey from The Force Awakens. We also have... Tony Stark. Yes. And and obviously there is a a Max and Furiosa um, cover as well. They are proper amazing. And I think the first time... We've had illustrated covers on the newsstand. Yes, right? this is a brave and bold venture. So do rush out in your thousands, if not millions, because I know millions of people listen to this podcast uh, and buy the magazine. It really does help. And also, I cannot state this enough every month. Pay my wages, you absolute motherfuckers. Uh, also, inside the issue, there's an incredible feature uh, on the Invisible Man. I mean, I try to read it. I couldn't really see it. <laughs> <laughs> do you know I actually pitched that uh, idea to Terry in my one of my news meetings I said can we do an article a news story on the invisible man where it's just a blank page how'd that go down it didn't knock it down we have a feature on Emily Beecham who's one of Britain's fastest rising actors as well uh, in the review section uh, edited by some <laughs> handsome genius uh, <laughs> We have Todd Phillips on Joker. We have Bill Skarsgård on It Chapter 2 and other people who didn't uh, make movies about creepy clowns that kill people. Uh, we also have a first look at In the Heights, Peter Skarsgård, there's Pint of Milk, there's every review of all the major new films that you could possibly ever want to read and all that in one package. But that's not all. With the magazine this month comes the latest edition of Pilot TV, the podcast-less magazine that does absolutely not have a podcast spin-off, no matter what you may have heard. And uh, on the cover is Jean-Luc Picard himself, Patrick Stewart, Sir Paddy Stew, as Jean-Luc Picard, uh, because the show starts next week on Amazon Prime. And there's loads of great stuff in there as well. Yeah, they got together the Doctor Who gang, the whole TARDIS crew, and Chris Chibnall for a chat about season 11. Um, There is an amazing look back at The Wire with uh, brand new interviews with David Simon and uh, Dominic West, a bunch of people who were involved in that. Al Horner Um, did such an amazing job. Yeah, he did a top (gasps) job. We've got Armando Iannucci on um, uh, Avenue 5, his new sci-fi comedy um, yeah, it's crazy good mm. issue. Mm. And it a, comes bundled in with Empire. I think there's an interview on the sex education cast as well. Yes, the sex education yeah. guys are in there uh, as well for season two, which is on Netflix at the moment. Yeah. Great. Perhaps they can give me some it. tips. All right. That's good stuff. That's available right now. And uh, it is time now for our second guest. Eventually, finally, it is the <laughs> second star of The Lighthouse. As I mentioned, this time, though, it is Robert Pattinson, the British actor who, like his Twilight co-star Kristen Stewart, has spent the last decade or so making a succession of wonderfully weird and left-field choices. And The Lighthouse is just the latest. His next movie, of course, is The Batman. And even that is a wonderfully weird and left-field choice for him. Uh, he talked, of course, to John again. John, how was he? 
yes, he was very good. He was he was, seemed like a very nice person. There, there there might be a bit of an editing snafu. I I slightly screwed up. <laughs> the part of Robert Pattinson will be played by <laughs> Alan Warman. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you won't even you can't tell the difference. You know, yeah. <laughs> every every time John asks uh, our pads a question, so what was it like being a lighthouse? The answer is so it's about two men who go to prison <laughs> and then they get out. <laughs> Uh, hopefully it won't be that bad. <laughs> but uh, yes, it might. It might be an me. interview that starts in in media res sort of thing. Um, <laughs> All right, here's four minutes of Robert Pattinson <laughs> from a man who forgot to fucking press record. Is that what happened? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> it's very hard. This you've got to press it twice. It's it's so tough. It's so is the is the counter moving? Is that recording? It's really tricky, isn't it? Oh dear. Anyway, here you go. Our pats. Robert Pattinson, enjoy. Oh, and you're like, is it? Like, I mean, because it, it was so serious. The beginning of this movie is so serious. The beginning of the script is so serious. And I was thinking, like, is it supposed to be funny? I don't understand. Like, am I just like, do I just have a weird sense of humor? But like, then you kind of realize, okay, this has to be intentionally funny. Yeah. And then, uh, and then there were just some bits which were just so kind of audacious that you've never really seen in a script before. I mean, I guess until you see like the scene. When me and Willem Dafoe were like, talking about uh, complaining about his cooking, and there's a scene where we were just in the script, it was just saying what I think it's in one of the trailers, mm. but it's kind of uh, it was two pages of dialogue. It was just it just said what 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 what, and I was like, is this like a typo? Um, and yeah, and then we get there, and then, and then Robert Eggers had incredibly particular timing about how he wanted to do the watts and how each watt was said differently and I'm like wow that's actually really fascinating yeah (laughs) yeah he's quite a precise director right was there any what what kind of like set did he run was there any directions that you thought this is very strange um no after you got used to it I mean there's some things about the aspect ratio that we had like Mm. the first couple of days just to fit in the same frame, you had to be mm. really close to each other. Because it's sort of like a square aspect ratio, yeah. right? And it is quite odd because you're like, mm. you know, especially when you're supposed to be playing uh, two guys who have a pretty contentious relationship, like why you would be talking like inches away from each other's faces. <laughs> I yeah. mean, it feels very bizarre, but it kind of, it just doesn't look like that on camera after. And it's kind of, it kind of takes a little bit of getting used to, but then it kind of, it feeds into your performance as well because there's something you can't help but be but perform something slightly differently when you're like they look like you're about to kiss them all the time yeah and so it's kind of uh yeah it becomes an interesting vibe um yeah and and uh how was it acting opposite William Defoe who you basically share like almost every scene with and mm. you're as you say right up in his grill <laughs> Um, and your character is very adversarial. Mm. Like, what was, was were you sort of keeping your distance off off camera as well? Not really. I mean, well, we were, we stayed in kind of like Willem had got this um, kind of little fisherman's cottage, which looked very idyllic, but I think it was actually just freezing cold and <laughs> really miserable. I didn't really realize, but like there was a little B&B which I was saying which was absolutely <laughs> lovely <laughs> like, yeah. down the road but I didn't think he knew of its existence <laughs> until it was too late uh, but yeah we would kind of we would yeah I mean we'd hang out but it's kind of like I mean I think Worm's great but we, there was a weird it's a strange thing where I was nervous about 
I'm such a massive fan of Willem and I don't know I always kind of I always feel funny about you know giving away my inadequacies and uh, ignorance as an actor to to actors I admire so I kind of I don't really say anything even when I'm doing interviews with him now I'm literally I'd be like <laughs> I don't want to answer the question because I know he's really clever and he'll say he'll say a much more interesting answer all I want to talk about is like shitting and stuff <laughs> I mean we can talk about shitting if you would if that's your comfort zone <laughs> yeah, it's definitely my comfort zone but I think I've done it too many times now. I mean there is a there is a one of the best shots in this film is you get a face full of shit yeah. um, which sort of reminded me of like Life, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's a good metaphor for life. How many how many takes of that scene did you have to do? Uh, I think not many. That was actually really difficult and terrifying because the mm. cliff it's on is not a fake cliff, right? And we're wearing these kind of like period corrections, pouring rain, and it was like incredibly windy. And holding those two buckets of shit is actually really heavy, <laughs> and like, and then to throw it like every time I threw it. You would a gust of wind would come at the same time, yeah. And so you'd, and I'm like a foot away from the edge of the cliff, and it's oh like actually genuinely terrifying. Um, and also quite oh, that's why because there's a massive, there's a huge industrial fan to get the shit to blow back oh, in my right. face, and so you'd kind of lean forward, you'd have to lean so far forward, and then kind of rely on the fan to keep you from falling off the cliff like, I mean, it's like that was pretty wild that scene it and uh, what what was the shit made out of i'm assuming it was never i never asked actually it, it didn't <laughs> smell too bad then because i mean you get completely plastered yeah i mean it's funny like once i think there's a certain aspect when like you know but whatever they made it out of it took like a couple of hours and so I'm not going to say it's better, it's better not to know I'm not going to object to it and also you're just thinking like, it was so cold I was literally just like <laughs> you're trying to do what and also there's a whole clean up process afterwards so you mm. just really wanted to get it it's like how much shit do you want like, does, how exactly <laughs> can I get it directly in my face I want to do this one time <laughs> but uh, yeah wow I mean you, you are really exposed to the elements in this film um, I'm guessing it was a mixture of real and fake. Like, what? Which is worse, like fake rain and real rain? The fake rain's worse. Yeah, because it's because kind of, it's left in it. I mean, it was freezing cold anyway, but it's left in the um, the tank all the time. So it's it's like really, really freezing. Oh, right. And uh, and also because it's little holes in a tank, it's like really needly rain. So actually, it's so weirdly painful. Like the normal rain is actually almost a relief like when, uh, when it's happening. Um, but yeah, it was kind of. But the elements of it, it's nice. I mean, it, it's. I think if anything, I sort of said it before that when um, if you have something to push back against, if you have the elements and the environment pushing back against you, um, if you can kind of fight against something, right? Um, and so you can kind of you feel like you can go further with the sort of ex, ex, uh, extremity of your performance because you know there's like howling winds and all that stuff. It feel, yeah. You feel less self conscious in a weird sort of way. Yeah, it makes sense for your character who it's Tom uh, is it Ephraim Winslow mm. um, as we first meet him anyway. Um, who is this very mysterious character? Like, what what did you make of him like initially? Like, he's got a lot of secrets, I guess. Mm. I mean, I think it's, it's like 
he's one of those people who thinks he th- thinks his secrets are worth more than they are mm-hmm. and that's kind of and he because he's tr- he's trying to get his own um he's trying to make i don't I mean, there's a lot of different elements to it, but he's trying to kind of make his uh, make more of a value of himself by thinking like, oh, I've got these dark, I've got a dark past, but it's kind of it's actually a kind of weirdly simple character, and he doesn't he doesn't have the capacity to understand mm. things in a lot of ways. Um, and I think Willem's character towards the end sort of calls him out on it. He's like, mm. he thought there was some kind of mystery in your quietudes, and and his name says that you're nothing but uh, a painted bitch screaming at the footlights. <laughs> like, and it's like, and I just remember reading. It, I was like, oh, that is because that's the kind of that's the frustration because he he just wants he wants validation from Willem's character by you know saying like you know appreciate my work, Appre- say I've, say I've been a good boy, say mm-hmm. I've done this good thing. But it's like, but he wants sort of his boss to kind of elevate him to a mm. to a level higher than the boss you know what i mean yeah. so it's like, it doesn't make any sense it's like so like people who go to a job all the time and just go like it's like oh my boss doesn't appreciate my boss doesn't appreciate it's like, it's like well do you think you're better than your boss then like figure out a way to get your boss's job <laughs> like, literally, otherwise why would your boss praise you more than they praise himself yeah <laughs> yeah i mean to be fair though he's he's not the best boss uh william's character he's yeah. he's, he's a bit of a horrible boss yeah he's pretty horrendous but um, <laughs> <laughs> there's that incredible scene where he uh basically invokes king triton for yeah. because you didn't like his cooking <laughs> um i mean what's it like being on the receiving end of that speech that's that's quite incredible yeah it was pretty amazing and you're kind of i mean it's it's one of those weird things as well where it kind of that was like one one shot right and like and it's like seven minutes long and i, mean, I, just, yeah. I love like some of the bold decisions in the filmmaking of it like i mean there's no coverage mm. and like that was and it's like I mean that's like really really long speech yeah and I'm like wow so you're just you're you're, you're just going for the gamble of uh, and then every single time I see the movie like that scene people just laugh so much afterwards and it's like I just, yeah that's pretty incredible is it almost like being in theatre that sort of way of filmmaking like you yeah and it's funny because it's like I, I mean I, I'm amazed about I mean I would I would sort of love to see this as a play it'd be so cool <laughs> but um, but um yeah it's funny how people react to it and they react to the, the kind of uh close confines and um and also just that the aspect ratio people it's just so funny when you see people doing you know everyone thinks you need to have more and more impressive stuff to mm. impress an audience I and mean, you just make the screen a bit smaller and mm people are like whoa <laughs> it's like really bizarre yeah yeah but it but it adds to the sort of claustrophobic feel of yeah, the whole yeah. thing doesn't it um i loved as well your other co-stars the the seagulls mm-hmm. um who I, I mean they give a pretty remarkable performance were, were you acting you were acting opposite puppets was that how did it work uh a lot of the time there's nothing there yeah and then uh but um there was one the, the puppet was quite amazing. I don't think they used a lot of the puppet, though. Um, but the puppet was controlled by like six guys. Okay. And then, but it was also really delicate and really expensive. Yeah. And so this is what I'm supposed to be 
like basically torturing seagulls um you couldn't actually uh like be too rough with the puppet because the puppet cost like, like 50 grand and like and uh and so yeah we kind of did that for a while and then had to replace it with just one of those rubber chicken dog toys at which we just glued some feathers on <laughs> and it, so every time I'm beating it it would have a little squeak oh really <laughs> which was kind of weirdly sad as well as terrible wow mm. um, Robert Eggers is such a uh, precise director how does he compare to someone like Christopher Nolan who you, you've worked with recently on, mm. on Tenet of course like what, what kind of what, what, what are the differences between those two kind of directors um, I guess there is definitely a similarity in their kind of and I've always thought that with, with um, Chris Nolan that he's kind of his movies seem like they're sort of experimental movies like Dunkirk like mm. everyone doesn't really see how bizarre Dunkirk is it's yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. kind of it's like a silent. There's no dialogue in the movie, like, and like people just don't even notice that there's yeah. no dialogue. And like, there's it's so particular. But uh, I mean, I think with both of them as well, that you kind of don't. They're pretty relaxed at the same time. So you can all, you only ever get hints of uh, the level of control. I mean, you definitely see it in the scripts. Like they're kind of very, very, uh, very detailed scripts. Mm. Um. But yeah, it's funny. I mean, I guess the scale scale is kind of different, but they're both kind of pretty relaxed about like you know difficult circumstances. Yeah. Well, we're yeah. super excited for Tenet, and also I, I can't resist a, a Batman question mm. as well. Um, I know you you can't say anything, but like the cast surrounding this film now is is immense. You've got so cool. like Zoe Kravitz and Paul mm. Dano and. Uh, John Turturro has announced recently. Like, mm. are you, how excited are you to like get involved with with that group of people? It's awesome, and they're, they're also kind of. It's very, it's funny. They seem very cohesive. Mm. It's kind of there's something they all. I don't know. You can see why it's not just like get massive names right. to do something. Right. It's got a very particular kind of ilk. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I can't wait to start. That's really. It's gonna be so cool. Yeah, that first table reads. It's gonna be a <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> That's gonna be a fun day. Like, and you're fired. <laughs> That'd be great. Well, I think that's my time. But Robert, cool. thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Cheers. Okay, so that was our pats, and now it's our views, re- reviews, reviews. Uh, last week, of course, there were about 280 films that uh, that warranted our attention. Uh, this week, thankfully, there's only a couple, and uh, one of them is Armando Iannucci's The Personal History of David Copperfield. John, hello. Tell yes. me, tell me things about this movie. Well, this is of course uh, ba- not based on the magician. This is based on the um, book uh, by Charles Dickens. You may have heard <laughs> of him. Based on the magician. <laughs> <laughs> well, just you know, just to clear that up. I actually interviewed Dev Patel, and he thought it was based on the magician initially when he got the offer. Um, that's, wow, that's a true story. Wow. Um, he thought he was going to have to slick his hair back and wear lots of turtlenecks, but um, but no, this is this is based on the the classic novel by Charles Dickens, semi autobiographical, of course. It's mm. sort of partly based on Dickens' own life growing up in Victorian England, um, and you know this is not the first film to uh, 
be based on that book, but it, I think it is the maybe the most unique take on, on that tale. It feels like a story that we know very well. It's been read by thousands of school children. Lots of character names you would recognize even if you haven't yes. necessarily read Uriah very Heep. Everyone knows Dickensian names. Yeah. Uriah Heep and ha- Mrs. Peggotty and Wickfield and Mr. Micawber and all of this sort of thing. Mm. But uh, but it's directed by Amanda Iannucci, who gives it a very different spin. Um, for one thing, you know, it's got Dev Patel in the lead. It's 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 very consciously using colorblind casting. So you know, you wouldn't uh, every adaptation before it has used white actors in this role and white actors across the board, really. Um, but. He's taking a completely Lawrence different... Lawrence Fox is furious. Yeah, I know. Lawrence Fox is tweeting angrily right it's now. Uh, Always a sign that you're doing something right. Mm, Precisely. Yes. Fuck him. Anyway, um, move on. No, but it's 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 incredibly refreshing to see this, uh, not just in terms of giving non-white actors opportunities, but just how an all-white cast would be ahistorical. I mean, the yep. historical record shows that there were lots of every ethnicity in Victorian England. It was a very diverse place, London, at the time. Uh, so, and, and also, fundamentally, Dev Patel is fantastic casting for mm-hmm. this role. Mm-hmm. He is so good in, in, this, in this role. He's fun and genial and charismatic and funny and, and ambitious and slightly arrogant at times. Mm-hmm. He's all of the things that you want a David Copperfield to be. Um, and he gives this film a very breezy fun, uh, likeable feel to it. It it's, it's packs a lot into its he, runtime. He was in the early early mentions for Oscars, early dispatches uh, for the Oscar conversation and faded away, fell out somewhat. Do you know why? why, why would I, that... I, I wonder if it feels, uh, the film maybe feels more light. Frothy and, and fluffy. Uh, and, it maybe is, yeah. is, is, it leans too far towards the comedy edge for it to be considered in awards Fair, but I but I, I totally see it. I think he could absolutely be talked of uh, in awards consideration. He 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 has everything in this mm. role. I mean, it's such a it, it's a, such an ambitious film. It, it's it's a book that I it's what six hundred pages six hundred pages, and they pack that all of that Small into into well. two mm. hours. Um, so it's there's a lot, and it mm. moves at a staggering pace. It doesn't feel like a period film feels like you know it just feels like a sort of breezy fun energetic comedy going from you know his birth right up until the point at which he's married as a sort of uh, you know young man um so this what's interesting about this is a, is a you have described something that doesn't sound like an Armando Iannucci comedy to me right. tonally at least uh all the brilliance and the, the incredible cast that's very Iannucci but this is a man who's two movies as a director are in the loop and the death of Stalin the death of Stalin in particular I felt like I needed a shower after it it was just <laughs> it was about the most awful people in the world being awful and succeeding at it obviously very very timely of course but this I was on set of this and it feels very sunny and bright and optimistic and perhaps that's what we need right now And but even looking back at Ian Nucci's career he's been involved with these very cynical very very clever comedies and this feels slightly uh, out of character in a weird way he yeah. said fuckity bye to the swearing. He has. <laughs> ben. We started. Potty mouth Ben over here. Honestly. <laughs> Sorry, mum. But yeah, now the biting satire that we normally associate with Iannucci is definitely uh, not here. But I agree with a lot of what John said. The colorblind casting, especially. When you look at these films, 
it's like black and brown people didn't exist and in period dramas and war like I, I like 1917 as we said but I can't remember seeing a black face in that movie and how hard is it to you know put a casting call out that asks for such faces and there's been it's been far too many times when that is just the case and it's almost been accepted now so it was nice for Iannucci to sort of offer this correction with that I would also say that Tilda Swinton might be the funniest she's been yeah. on screen yeah. in this movie she's a delight I will also say that the waistcoat game in this movie is strong. And Coming from waist- the best dressed man in podcasts, that's <laughs> saying something. Hey, the waistcoat lover in me loved it. Um, I should just also say that I made waistcoats cool long before Gareth Southgate. <laughs> what the hell? Long before Gareth Southgate come along, I've came along. I've never seen you thing. in a waistcoat. I've been in waistcoats before. <laughs> I'm going to show you pictures after this. Um, oh, that's how it works. That's... <laughs> That sounded like a weird threat. <laughs> I really did. You slide into my DMs, Amon. Is that what's happening? I will send back a nude, I promise you. Oh, God. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, you mentioned the uh, sort of trying to cram 600 pages into, and it did feel a little bit rushed for mm, yeah. me. There's, a t- there's times you just want to sit with a somber beat for a little while longer before it rushes on to the next thing. Um, yeah. But for the most part, I, I really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, Deb Patel is great. Tilda Swinton is Awesome. Hugh Laurie's won awards for playing Mr. Dick. He won a Biffa for that. Mm-hmm. And I've seen a lot of people single him out as well. Uh, where did you stand on Hugh Laurie? Uh, I wouldn't stand on him. I would <laughs> shake his hands and say that was a good performance. Wait, you um, would do physical touch? I'd, well, I'd, well, no. <laughs> oh, that <laughs> struck his face. I, I, would, I would nod at him from afar. Uh, no, he's fantastic in this film. He's yeah. really, really good. They're, him and Tilda Swinton have this sort of eccentric... Uh, middle-class English double acts and they're very funny. I mean, it's just, it is a very, very funny film and I think he brings out a lot of that Dickensian humour that that exists in the book and brings a bit of his own own spin. And yeah, it is, it is the bite of his comedy has been softened a little bit. It's not satirical. But obviously deliberately so. This is what yeah. he wants mm. to do at this yeah. point. Yeah. It's, I, th- I think he's he's sort of broadening his his scope as a, as a filmmaker. Yeah. Um, uh, and and it's and it mostly works. I think it's brilliant. I th- I do think yeah, it does suffer a little bit the the sort of relentless pace. Um, you know, there's he packs a lot of characters and a lot of stories and situations. It, it spans so many years um, that oh. you sometimes feel it loses a bit of the themes of the novel, some of the messages of, you know, the 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 underclass of England being mistreated in Victorian England. I'm not sure that is touched upon as much as it could, but it's maybe that's an inevitable sort of cut from the from the source material. Yeah, you can't have everything, yeah. uh, sadly, in these things. Uh, did they cover the bit where he made the Statue of Liberty disappear? That doesn't come up. Maybe, maybe that's a sequel. Um, Real shame. Yeah. Real Real shame. <laughs> How about the bit where he was the uh, the magic advisor to Now You See Me? <laughs> that would explain a few things. No. It really would. <laughs> anyway, four stars in for the personal history of David Copperfield. And the second and last movie we're going to talk about this week, well, I'll say we, only one of us in this room has seen it, it is The Grudge, the remake of The Grudge, the remake of The Remake if you will, of The Grudge. And Amon Warman is that man. He has seen this film. Uh, Amon, I presume it's about a person who goes to jail and then gets out. Is that pretty much what happens in this? <laughs> you took the words right out of my mouth, Chris. <laughs> uh, 
No. Um, it's about uh, a, re- a recently sort of widowed single mother, Detective Muldoon. She, uh, she's played by Andrea Weisborough. And uh, yeah, she just moved to this town. The first case uh, she gets is about uh, a mystery that you know, ties back to a house with a very violent history. And uh, she, you know, once once she enters the house, she, she discovers that the house is cursed, <gasps> and then she sort of you know has to deal with people haunting her and all that nasty stuff. I should say a disclaimer right up top: um, just uh, as Helen is, I am a wuss when it comes to horror. <laughs> uh, so what sort of might be like a seven for me on the scare scale is well, like a zero point five for you hardened horror people. Um, <laughs> so I should say that up top. I know, I know um, you clutched my waistcoat in fright. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching some of the movie through my fingers. I had to cover my eyes with my snood. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'm gonna yeah. Every time I come to the office now, I'm wearing waistcoats just for this. Um, <laughs> Even in the dead of winter. Doesn't matter how cold gonna, it is. We're gonna by by December we're gonna have you in a waistcoat and kilt. That's <laughs> Oh, and you must wear a kilt, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah I think you, On yeah. occasion, no. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, nice, uh, yeah. you, you, you should go instead. Um, yeah, this is the remake of the remake. I think this is like the eighth film in the franchise at this point. Um, and that means that there's not a lot that horror fans haven't already seen before in this film or even in this franchise or even other sort of similar horror franchises. Uh, it's, it's, it's a little bit generic in that regard. But I do think it's a solid movie. Um, Andrea Weisberg is a fantastic actor. Uh, she's very chameleonic. If I didn't know that it was her going into this movie, I'm, I think I might have had trouble recognizing her. Uh, she is fantastic as the lead. Uh, this, the direction by Nicholas Pesci, who made The Eyes of My Mother, and what was the other one? Uh, piercing. Piercing. There you go. Well, which you, you tell me is coming to Netflix soon? Yeah, I, I added that to my Netflix list the other day. Okay. Apparently, it's very good. Really, quite extreme sort of body horror. I think. Okay. Um, so yeah, um, he directs this one, and he directs it very stylishly. There's a when it gets in, into the final act, which when things get especially brutal, uh, the direction uh, really sort of uh, steps up a notch, which is good. Uh, the Newton Brothers are like horror music specialists. Uh, I think they did Doctor Sleep recently. They do the score for this, and it's really, really good. It actually reminded me of John Carpenter's Halloween score mm, at various okay. times. And the final shot, which obviously I'm not going to spoil, is fantastic. That's all I'm going to say about that. Um, but yeah, the the interweaving stories, as much as it allows for a really inclusive, uh, really impressive cast, in addition to um, Andrew Riseborough, you've got John Cho, you've got Betty Gilpin from Glow, You've got William Sadler. You've got, uh, there's one name I'm forgetting. Oh, uh, Frankie Faison. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of okay, them yeah. uh, sort of pop up in this movie, and that's great. But you don't get to really fully connect uh, with any of their stories because they haven't, they haven't got, they've got a limited amount of screen time. Uh, with we, we have a limited amount of screen time before we have to move on uh, with them. It's also a little bit too in love with the jump scare. I think I say in my review that if you had a horror bingo card, uh, you would scratch off <laughs> quite a few horror tropes watching this movie. And then the final thing I'll say is this. There's there's a trope in movies, and it's not just it's limited to this movie, but it really bugs me. It's that thing where you have a character and they look at something and it looks really creepy and really weird and really messed up and they go closer and they go closer <laughs> and they go closer. And I'm like... What the hell are you doing? 
You know, if I look at something, if I look, if you'd, I, if you'd I, if be I, down the road. Oh my, literally, <laughs> yeah, I, the way I'd be sprinting, Usain Bolt in his prime could not catch me. <laughs> he could not. Hey, forget, forget Usain Bolt. The Flash would have trouble keeping up with me. I would be who was sprinting. Who was a really well-dressed man? I just saw. Was he wearing a waistcoat? I couldn't tell. He was running too fast. And yet, this guy. There's a scene where the guy just goes closer, closer, closer to a really nasty-ass bathtub filled with I don't know what. Where and, and his face is like. He kneels down and his face is like one centimeter away. I'm like, at this point, you deserve every shitty thing which is about to happen to you. <laughs> you absolute idiot. And it's not limited to this movie, but it nope. really bugged me. Rape anyway. school in um, Prometheus. Oh my gosh. Oh, the planet and yeah. the little snake thing. And he like shoves his, his finger in his face and then Why? it bites his finger. And he's surprised when that happens. Yeah. What the fuck? It's clearly acting aggressively as well. It's yeah. like a, it rears up like a cobra and he's still a little. Tss. Yeah, he still yeah. goes for an idiot. But anyway, I gave this movie three stars. Um, <laughs> Honestly, I couldn't tell. <laughs> <laughs> and I agree with my review. Okay, so that is uh, uh, an Ammon recommendation. So there you go, three stars for uh, The Grudge. Uh, yeah, The Grudge movies, the first couple, the original and the remake, scared me, but it does feel like diminishing returns because it's so bleak. It really is. Uh, you know, and that just that just gets to me after a little while. But, you know, hey-ho, uh, might, might be worth checking this one out. You never know. And that is it for this week's Empire Podcast, uh, which, once again, is brought to you by our sponsor, megamovieweek.co.uk. And again, you can find the latest and greatest digital movies up until the 26th of January from your favorite digital stores like Sky Store, Amazon Prime Video, Apple TV, Google Play Store, and more. You name it, you'll be able to find it on there. Uh, join us next week for more film-related fun and we'll be joined by a triple whammy of guests. You won't just get Daniel Kaluuya, star Ooh. of Queen and Slim. Oh, yes. Talking about the Camden Morrisons. Yes. Hot scoop there. What, like the, the hot scoop of pick and mix that we children do talk have about already the, put in their we, mouths? We do talk about pick and mix. <laughs> hot pick and mix chat. You won't just get Marielle Heller, director of A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood. Ooh. <laughs> Somebody's it's, still it's, got the grudge on the brain. Yeah, it's not the grudge now. Sorry, I went Ooh. to go. Yeah, I'll, I'll. Tom Hanks. <laughs> <laughs> For the next one, I'll make, I'll make changes. <clears throat> oh, okay. All right. <laughs> you are also going to get the great... Bong Joon Ho. Oh, I just want. <laughs> <laughs> Director of Parasite. That is a hat trick and no mistake. Uh, so then, so until then, until that suspicious occasion, until we meet again, it is goodbye from Amon Warman. Peace. <laughs> Every time it makes me laugh. It is goodbye from Ben Travis. Goodbye. No. Uh, it's goodbye from John Nugent. Uh, Buy your shit. I don't know. I'm. I, yeah. <laughs> I went a bit of partridge there. Yeah, take me a second series, you shit. <laughs> a little bit. Just trying to keep up the swearing. No, it's fine. Fine. Totally fine. Yeah. yeah. We actually didn't swear that much this week. No, no. Pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to infiltrate the set of the Eternals and get Kamel Nanjiani to eat a banana katsu. Oh, yes. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye. Bye.